The mystifiers assemble. Here we go. It's Wednesday. And, uh, you know, lately, you, you never know what it's going to be. The mystifiers, vibrant, interverse. We've got a lot of balls we're juggling. But this one, it's the most work, but it's the most fun. We got so much gravy to digest. So we're kicking off with partway through our analysis of season two, episode one of Loki. No big deal if you haven't seen it or even if you haven't seen the rest of the series. If you like what you see, go check out the rest of the series. <laughs> Good times. Uh, we have pages and pages of notes, lots of slides. The, uh, the synchro mysticism is just enormous <laughs> tonight. I'm really excited. Good to see everybody there in the chat. Uh, if you're uh, new around here and you like it, share this podcast with somebody that you think would also enjoy the content. And Gabe, Slick Dissonant Squared. What's up, man? Welcome. Hey, buddy. Looks like uh, not too much of a lag so far. That's kind of nice. We got a good, clean signal. Yeah, super thrilled, man. Super thrilled. Let's get cooking. <laughs> I think we just have to Let's... go right for it. <laughs> like, we'll be here for four hours if we don't. Really excited. All right, so we'll just kick off with a few slides back. We left off last time with Loki doing his whole, like, Charlie at the conspiracy corkboard. <laughs> it's all a grand conspiracy. You live in an illusion. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, revealing Kang. And then we had our, let's see. We had our creepy General Docs giving a little kiss on the forehead to her baby boy, X5. I think you, that's his name, Hunter X5. Know, I I got a new uh, I got a new revelation on this particular scene right here, uh, so we don't miss it. I, uh, this is a huge reveal. It was really uncomfortable, right? It's awkward. It's incestuous. Uh, it turns out I think I'm quite sure who she is. Who the Docs is her name? Is that right? Yeah, General Docs. General Docs. Uh, she has an Irish accent. Did you notice? Yeah. But you talk. Yeah. I think we're looking at Maud gone. I think this is Maud gone, uh, encapsulated into a Machiavellian uh, mastermind. She looks like Machiavelli. And Machiavelli is my number three Empress card uh, on the Enneagram Slick Dissident channel. And. When I get these sneaking suspicions, it's uh, it's all fun and games until I actually put their face up against each other. And I realize this lady looks like uh, Machiavelli and she talks like Maud Gone, who was a, a leader of. Um, here we go. I'm going to send it to you right now. She was the leader of the Irish uh, IRA. Yeah, it's kind Irish of if, if you're right about that, it's like a weird little uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> role reversal because well, now she's like a, this character's like a full on statist right wing fascist type so it's mm, maybe yeah, we're yeah. seeing like that that revolutionary cycle where the uh, the rebels become the tyrants nailed it home run my friend you nailed it and you haven't even done all the run around I did to get there you nailed it so yeah she started all the shit with the IRA way back when <clears throat> keep in mind the IRA was, uh, I sent you in telly, uh, uh, an image to kind of substantiate these claims. The IRA was focusing on how to make things go boom, just like Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons is learning how to make things go boom and rocketry and, and how to 
you know, steer things that go boom with accuracy. So all of this is like a, a going on on the black market in a major way. And the cloak and dagger Machiavellian maneuvers that are required to even run in those circles and rub elbows with people who have access to things that go boom is really amazing. So Mod Gone would have been uh, recruiting bomb makers and bomb experts and that power through the uh, from that rebellion has actually picked up so much momentum that some of the secret societies Mod Gone initiated in the rebellion forces of her day are now have gained majority in the House of uh, Commerce in the UK. And so she started a movement called uh, Sinn Féin. And Sinn Féin, because of the lockdowns, they just took majority. So you nailed it, man. And you didn't even do the legwork. You just guessed it by like the, the dynamics of what a rebel movement becomes. It's and so this picture is really time. revealing because she looks just like Machiavelli. Zoom in on how much she looks like Machiavelli in her uh, her um, her voice is the same as what Mod Gon's voice would be. I don't Mod know what Gon Machiavelli the, looks like is my problem here. It's in there. It's behind. Oh, her. it's at the bottom. Okay. Right. okay. And he's rubbing his chin, which is like public master masturbation, but on a dark necromantic level, that's actually like the gods have to wipe their beards from all the blood that pours out. It's all dark. <laughs> it's all dark. <laughs> Do you think then, we uh, could uh, expand on this weave in what the next episode when we see more of her plot carry on? Yes, because that's what told me. That's what confirmed this. That's why I'm always like a few steps ahead. It will make sense if you if you go on. But if you go up to the top, it's the moment when she gets put locked in that uh, that glass veil. That it looks is like one of the old timey sepia color scale photos. You got it. And so, yeah, Mod Gon's name is McBride. This card is wearing the bridal veil. Uh, all the Machiavellian veiled references are uh, just brilliant. And then there's Dante's Inferno is always in uh, Machiavelli's hands. And so the dente of the tooth of it all is also uh, uh, baked into the cake. So, yeah, this has been a card that has been coming at me hardcore. This came up with the jellyfish in Iraq video recently. Turns out uh, I'm almost done. The code name of Lady Frida Harris, who wrote the, who made this deck, the artist, her code name is Jesus Chutney. And Jesus is a fish. Chutney is a jelly. Her code name through anamnesis implies jellyfish. And there's also a jellyfish hiding out in this card as well. <laughs> Coming out the gate. <laughs> Coming out the gate with some wild stuff, man. I got one more. I got one more before uh, just so I don't leave anything unturned on the jellyfish. Jellyfish is the middle name of Alexander Dugan, who is the high priest of Vladimir Putin. Uh, they call him the most dangerous philosopher in the world. And his middle name is jellyfish, which is a nod to Lady Frida Harris. Like literally his middle name is jellyfish. 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 Oh. <laughs> with a G and a V. It's right oh, yeah. there, man. They're playing with us. They are clowning on us. But that's the that's the heart attack gun. The heart attack gun has all the uh, echinoderm poisons. That is the HAG. That is harmony, arithmetic, and geometry. The HAG. Bam. Okay. Well, let's get back into pushing the plot forward. So we've left this scene where. Loki is meeting with the war council in the war room and he goes out with Mobius. They finally, you know, caught up to each other. It's been the dog chasing the fool or vice versa for 
you know, the whole episode up to this point. And if you remember from last time, I was talking about how the, well, I guess the free audience might not know about this, so I better recap. So we did cover half of the episode last time in a, a plus extension for the premium audience because this is a Wednesday show. We're going to just keep the whole thing on YouTube and everywhere else tonight like I would if it was vibrant. So you're welcome for that. <laughs> it's going to be fun time. But one thing we talked about, if you go to, I'll just back up a few slides so that we understand this weave. So Loki in this scene, he he destroys the wall that has this iconography of the, the three timekeepers. And behind it, it reveals the male god, Kang, the Kronos character. What we talked about was how essentially the religious wars of the past may have been largely about the worship of the feminine generative power or the goddess versus the masculine generative power. So the Yoni cult and the phallus cult, and maybe like a third side <laughs> being the, the dual principle cult. And I think throughout history, they've split apart and come together and fought many times. We're going to have to talk about that more in the future. There's a lot to that. But the thing we brought up that is relevant to going forward is that the feminine principle is the image, <laughs> the, like the religious imagery idea. So the, the masculine cults think like, you know, Moses, 10 commandments, thou shalt not engraven images and all that. Whereas you can tell that the modern TVA is allegorical to the real world because they have all of this. Uh, iconography, like religious imagery throughout their facility, which is the, you know, that's, <laughs> it's the mommy state that <laughs> what, what do they do? They're just like always watching. That's the, the left essentially that's communism. What like the, the liberal side wants a female government where they, the government nurtures and gives them everything. The masculine side wants like a, more of a warlike, but also, I guess both sides can be warlike, but also leave us alone and give us freedom. Like, uh, essentially, people that are extreme right wing, they have, they want the state to be their dad. Extreme left wing wants the state to be their mom. And so, <laughs> just like, just like the real world where power systems and governments are kind of globalism is melting down because of all of the female leadership. It's not really working out so well. And it might be a bait and switch. It might be like turning women and minorities into their own doomsday weapon against themselves so that the pendulum can swing back the other way and we'll all be justified to say, look, we should have never gave you rights and power and the, <laughs> the ability to vote and fake elections, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you know, I mean, I see that. I see, I see the doomsday weapon that the, uh, especially like the LGBTQ plus one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine types. They're being forged into their own worst enemy, you know, especially the regular ones that are not radicalized. They're probably suffering the most about this, but essentially here in this scene, Loki is catching up Mobius on everything that happened at the end of time and explaining that the big multiversal war is coming, which is in itself, I think the multiversal war might be the allegory for religious wars of the past, like this deep antiquity to the TVA. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, man. Yes. Uh, one thing right here, we are sitting on a sequence of patterns as we bridged from our last episode to this one. I just picked up on it uh, recently on a deeper level that when they were in the war room. Oh, by the way, the war room. I want to put a footnote in everybody's uh, to do list. Go watch the most recent Sam Tripoli episode. They talked about the war scroll of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I think some of the things in the war room might have been should have been on the table in your mind there. Uh, turns out that war scroll is really something to look at. That whole Sam Tripoli episode was something to think about. I found Joe Biden's name in a dark poem hidden from Rudyard Kipling. Whoo, get some, y'all. Go get some. All right. Okay, all that aside. In the war room, they were listening to a recording of Loki explaining the conspiracy. And then Loki manifested in the in reality and then had to like pan, go through his uh, speech and show them the conspiracy, it, which fulfilled the voice they were listening to first. And now here he is doing the same spiel again. So like three times in a row, he's trying to break people's reality, trying to help them see what's in front of their face and they're not. And the theme here is fragility again. Uh, this is the word of the year, y'all. It turns out. Uh, can you bring up that uh, most recent graphic? Uh, look at what he's pointing at. He's pointing at broken glass, broken, uh, shattered images. Uh, before that, he broke the wall. He stabbed the wall so that he could remove the veil. And you could see he who remains behind it. While there was a sculpted head on a table, no less. Uh, this is him. The head to of shatter their John paradise. the Baptist on a golden plate. I mean, it couldn't be more exactly. direct. Yes. So this year, there is a brand new meteor shower called the Sculpted, uh, excuse me, no, Sculptorid Meteor Showers. This has shattered my paradigm. Fascinating thing is it initiated for the first time it kicked off in Perth, Australia. Perth, though, rune is in the shape of a tooth, uh, has to do with uh, uh, what is uh, faith and uh, breakthroughs. Uh, so Perth is where the black swan exists, uh, came, the first black swan was discovered. So it is a symbol of fragility. The sculpture is fragile. So shattering and breaking fragility. Um, I'm about to have some dental work done. So this is like heavy on my soul as well. But uh, I just think <clears throat> that all things about shattering paradigms and putting it back together again have been uh, put in the backdrop all along. Remember the, the, tower of he who remains is built on cracking thin ice uh so yeah that's what i see when i see uh loki constantly pointing at uh paradigm shattering truths that should make people think twice about what they thought they knew hmm. and that's going to play into takin olom i've actually oh, i have Tekin so olom. much about that in this in this uh slideshow okay all right here we go here we go y'all putting a band-aid oh. on it okay so one thing we, th we brought up before is that loki in this episode he's time slipping between the past version of the tva and the present day and i kind of think that there's a symbolism here that in the past version of the tva loki represents the fool so that's one version of the cycle and then in the present day tva is more like the hanged man and so since we're considering the hanged man being a, one of, in my opinion, the two most powerful correspondences to this episode, we got to consider the mem, the letter mem, which is the letter for the hanged man card. And in this <laughs> scene, 
Loki is explaining to Mobius that he's had his memories wiped. Mem Ori, right? There's a huge correlation with mem, the letter, and memory. I mean, it, it means water. Water holds memory. I'm just going to hope that you guys have kind of done your homework there and know about you that. Know, you, you know what that I see right out the gates? Chance, what if the Loch Ness Monster was constructed and confabulated to look like this glyph? Do you see a Loch Ness Monster head in this glyph? Ah, uh, beyond my my second sight. I don't know. what. Yeah. I don't have a Loch Ness Monster in my mind's eye, so... But I do, I, I do from childhood. I wonder if the mem, uh, if the Loch Ness monster was designed to be emulating the M. Emulating, huh? The mem. I think it, I think there's a there there. I think uh, that might have been. Uh, I think we might have just cracked one of Crowley's spells right there. So, I think that the present day TVA is more the feminine principle, and I think. As I said, you know, like a feminized government. And I think the past TVA is actually more like the dual principle because uh, the, you know, in the furthest reaches of the past that we have much access to, the age of Taurus in procession, where the Apis bull was venerated in various forms throughout beyond just Egypt. Uh, that bull the, or the beeve, the bull of heaven, that was represented as both genders. And I think that the partnership of the Renslayer character that is exposed with the Kang character maybe does indicate the two principles, the masculine and feminine united. Now, I also think that in the real world, a lot of what we see of uh, what we call Antiquitech and <laughs> the amazing ancient, highly advanced architecture probably came from a culture where the the priesthood or the, the male and the female, the war of the sexes was not a hot war. I think really you can look at the whole of history through the lens of the war of the sexes. And that's been on my mind a lot. Uh, then Loki and Mobius, they discuss the time slipping that Loki's been having where he's jumping between the past and the present. And Mobius insists it's not possible because time doesn't work like that here. And that, <laughs> that kind of makes me think about the temporal powers and spiritual powers. Like, you know, Unum Sanctum, the, the Vatican or the papacy's decree that they were above temporal powers, that they, the temporal powers were under them and that they had dominion over all the souls of the world. That's basically what the TVA is like, you know, if they're, if that time stuff doesn't work like that here, then they're the, they're the Unum Sanctum holders. Uh, yeah. And there's some humor here about how bad it looks when Loki does his vanishing, so Mobius decides to take Loki to a department called Repairs and Advancement to take a look at him. That's RNA, folks. <laughs> He's going to get a medical checkup in the RNA department. And we find out much later, not really said in this episode, but much later, the guy who runs it, who runs the RNA department, is a science fiction writer. So the RNA guy is going to provide a science fiction cure. Gotta love that. You know, this scene right here uh, is so uh, heavy with the writer, or excuse me, with the Thoth Dex Hanged Man card, which has a very strong H shape. And he's saying, we're going to uh, swing you by repairs. Uh, but this, the H. Good catch, swing. 
Because you know what right, the word, right. the French name of the hanged man is La Pendu. Like the word yes. pendulum comes from the same idea as hanging. Yes. Swinging. So the, time. It, yep. So one of my one of my big weaves on that hangman card is Harry Houdini's name is in the card. It's a big H. The shape of the man's the hangman in both deck is like a R R Y, all in one body posture. So Harry's name, and then Harry Houdini is the hangman card. I can prove it a thousand ways. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, you're catching the spirit of the hangman card right here in this image. It's really strong, M- matching with that both deck particularly. Yeah, the Pendu. Pendu. That's cool, the Pendu. I'm keeping that on my to-do list. That's something yeah. that's sus out. There's a there's a lyrical poet. The ninth lyrical poet is called the Pendar. And that fits with the, the mythology of the white alpha draconian lizard in Tibet. But that's another story for another day. This, this elevator is not shaped normally, Chance. Did you pick up on the geometry of this elevator? I did not pick up on the geometry. I picked up on some stuff in this scene, you know, yet another scene in an elevator. They're always doing that. But in this part, Loki just keeps, you know, vanishing and reappearing. And Mobius is like, you just disappeared. I can't keep looking at it because it's horrible. And Loki's like, I thought you said it wasn't that bad. And Mobius is like, it's terrible. Looks like you're being born or, or dying or both at the same time. And it's really funny how he delivers the line, right? In an Owen Wilson way. But this is the the dying and resurrecting God. The time slipping that Loki is doing in this episode is the metempsychosis. It's the transmigration of souls. It's reincarnation. He's appearing in different ages. And so it's really specific to say you're being born and dying at the same time. Now, what about the geometry of this elevator? It is unnaturally shaped and it's so subtle. The The two of them are in a corner, but the corner is not 90 degrees. They're in an acute angled corner here, which is like the shape of no elevator I've ever seen. Uh, so they are in it. It's less than 90 degrees. I think they're in about a 70, 60 degree angle here in this corner. And then when they ask for a witness, she is in a 90 degree corner. And and really uh, almost torturously cast like it's kind of the the character they chose to be the plebe was like intentionally like unattractive. A lot of. uh, Oh, there's a big reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you. Well, I want to say this about the elevator. I think um, I think this is the shape of of the Ara Altair, because I know that they're going down to our Altair constellation and the shape of that actual, actual shape of it, anatomical geometry of the constellation is embedded in the shape of this, of the elevator. So they're literally going through changes. Uh, the symbol of the change is embedded in the shape of the room. And I, I've seen them do this a thousand ways. So it's on my radar. So this is normalizing drastic change and externalizing judgment to some plebe who may or may not even their their, their opinion doesn't really matter. There's just some ugly plebe. Uh, yeah. Uh, would you say the girl looks like she's like in puberty, not even a full grown woman? Thus, like you know, awkward, kind of like unattracted or homely the way a, pub- a pubescent teen would be. I 
I wonder so much about this choice for this random character. I wonder if it's supposed to look like a, a Kissinger. It kind of looks like a Kissinger <laughs> uh, uh, homunculus kind of thing to me. But I gotta, I'm trying to pull up a graphic about what I think is really going on because I found a huge weep uh, that I think they're hailing right here. I'll let you keep going and I'll send you this graphic on something I think is going to come into the very end scene that is seated here. So we're putting a, a cork a pin in this cork board with a string that's going to run all the way to the closing scene at the end of our endeavors. <laughs> so what I got on this is okay. So to recap the, the word Aleph. So on the full card is the letter Aleph. Aleph is one in Gematria. So we got to go further than just the, the number one to explore the Gematria in this episode. Juan is here. Speaking of one, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> What's up, buddy? So what this homunculus in the elevator is, I think, symbolic. All right. So the, when you spell out the word Aleph, which is Aleph Lamed Pei, A-L-P in Hebrew, those letters equal 111. Turns out we did the first part of this episode on January 11th, 111, unintentionally. So we're looking all throughout this for examples of the 111 showing up. And there are a lot, even beyond just me getting fancy with Gematria. There's like a implied 111 that jumps out <laughs> later in the episode, just like, hey, notice me. So <clears throat> anyway, the letter or the 111 and 40, those are the two main numbers that I've been having my eyes open for. Narrowing it down to those two, because otherwise I'd get crazy <laughs> and try to find Gematria for everything. So this one, though, is uh, Ayin Vav Lamed Hey. However you would say that. It equals 111. According to the book Sefer Sapphires on Hebrew Gematria, this word means young girl or the bride uh, of Malkuth after being married to the king Tifereth. So other alternate. You badass. So there's alternate meanings to this word, depending on how they do vowel points, including uh, burnt offering, world, leaves, and ascent or staircase. So it's interesting to note that they're in an elevator having an ascent, pr presumably, or maybe a descent. And then the young girl is here and there's no other children ever shown at the TVA. I have to make something of that. Not to mention in for the 40 of it all, bet. Uh, Chet and Lamed, that equals 40. And it refers to the right, that word means the ripening of figs, but it's used in poetic or figurative language to refer to the puberty of women. So here we have 40 and 111 converging to give us this pubescent uh, young girl while they're on the ascent in the elevator. It's it's wild, wow. man. The gematria wow. is, is here. Not to, And it's interesting too, because they're talking about how bad as time slips look. They're not beautiful. <laughs> But, you know, beauty is kind of maybe even a little reference to Tifereth, uh, the the sphere of beauty and masculinity. <laughs> wow, no. buddy, you're blowing you're blowing my mind. So this, uh, I I love how we do this. I love our process here. Um, I guess can you bring up the most recent one I sent you because uh, I see there this movement that they're taking is a distinct movement on the Enneagram, I can track this line from the number seven down to the number five, and it is a descent. It is a, a, a going downwards. 
from the seven to the five, they're going to Oros Boros. And I think uh, I can find all of Oros Boros's uh, uh, iconography. Just, just Ouroboros, though. There's only oh, one you know, S in the whole yeah. <laughs> I actually, I got to keep my two S's um, because it's true to my song. It's actually, in Capoeira, is Oros Boros. And so that S is actually doubled because you're flipping it. You, when you twist the S, it becomes the Analima. Is that like a Portuguese way of saying the word? Yeah, that's why That's why oh. so many things I say. Okay, they I sound forgive like you. A, you're allowed. I know I All sound right. like a hillbilly, but it's actually, give you it's permission. actually my Portuguese. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's my Portuguese coming through. But what's cool is those S's, when you take, the, when you take them and flip one, it becomes the Analima. It becomes the Oros Boros. So the S is, do you see what I'm saying? You take an S and you flip it on the other S and it's an eight. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So the S is actually, yeah. So the two S's actually fulfill its visual uh, capacity. But yeah, in Portuguese. And what's a snake eating its own tail going to say? Lots of S's, yeah. So they're actually, right now, they're moving across the seven to the five and they're bypassing the number six, which is a wedding, uh, the lover's card or a divorce is the devil's card. Uh, all things about loyalty and uh, your loved one, your significant other uh, is embedded in this number six personality type. Uh, and you just called it out uh, by by everything that you pulled out of the symbols from your side, from from your perspective. We're seeing the same thing. We're going right past a wedding ceremony. And we're moving into the thinker. Now, the thinker is uh, is a loner and accumulates so much information. I get really excited, Chance, because this the Ordos Boros character was a huge break for, breakthrough in my mind a month ago. And I've only been packing more and more baggage on top of his significance in meeting so much that would take me hours just to talk about how much I've learned from analyzing this casting choice. Um, but I just love what you just said about the one, one, one and this woman being like a bridesmaid. Uh, and one more thing we missed last time on the one, 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 the magical square of the sun, no matter which direction you go, you're going to get one, one, one as a result. And when you add uh, and then there's another combination of the magical square of the sun, that is a three, six, nine. I think it's when you add every square in the magical square of the sun, it's 369. So that's another breakthrough for um, the magical square of the sun, which I, which is a six by six magical square, which corresponds to the number six that we're going through right now on the Enneagram. Like we are tracing heavy magic. Dude, I missed the, that. The magic square of the sun is one, one, one always. Always. And then it also has Whoa. a three, six, nine. Yeah, buddy. This is huge revelations, just like exploding on levels that our words are not sufficient to even point at. But we're doing a very good job, I think. <laughs> yeah, the one one ones in this episode are so huge. Well, that fits because the fool is also soul, which is the sun. Oh, yes, it's yes. so perfectly. Yes, and now and you want to know the other interesting connection is soul in Latin gematria is forty. So this correspondence nice. between soul, fool, hanged man, mem, aleph, there's like this huge. Uh, and, you know, think about the alphabet, A and M, you know, it's the beginning of each half of the alphabet. Yes, yes. So so something about this number six seat, uh, I call it the uh, siege perilous 
And for a lot of people, when you just have a, when you have a loved one in your life, that number six is all good to go. But if you don't have a significant other in your life, it's a, it's a task. It's a, it's a, you got to work. And I think that is the ripening. And it's like, Oh, Hey, I've got this person, this person that I may want to be with. Well, it's not ripe yet. It's not time to, to pluck, to commit to plucking that fruit. So the ripening also plays into the dynamics I see on the fact that it is the siege perilous. And now this is a huge side weave, but the six is an empty seat in the symposium. Um, the word siege perilous is like a prophecy of one who is yet to come. It's a, uh, it's somebody it's like uh, if if you were interested in somebody and they kept rejecting you, you would plop yourself down in their six position everywhere they went. And no matter what they were doing, you would want to be in their six vision. Uh, and that's the siege perilous that you're constantly want to be there to fulfill that that empty seat in their life. OK, and so in a, in a fun way, this is all just relationship talk. But in culture, it becomes something weird. And now when I now let's take it away from the micro. Let's go to the macro. I think this is also an empty prophecy. This is a, a one who is yet to come. Uh, this is a, a seat that has not been fulfilled in certain pantheons of people's worldview. So there is a Messiah complex around the siege perilous of the number six. So when we go on to macro level with cultures and societies, there's something really gimmicked up. Uh, like a trap, like a trap thrown about this number six, that whoever does come and fulfill the prophecy is going to get locked in in the spot. So that was that's a wild weave. Uh, can you bring up the other one I sent right before that? And I'm just going to plant this idea. I think I'm seeing a secret society from the Catholic agenda that gives themselves permission to make allegiances that will get them a permission slip out of purgatory. And this is vast and profound. I'm sure this promise has been made and has many, many other incarnations and descriptions. But I think this might be the nod we're looking at with this character, this random character in the elevator. She almost looks like a, I think that's Thomas Aquinas. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, I was studying two characters at the same time. It's either Thomas Aquinas <laughs> or Athanasius Kircher. Oh, it's Thomas Aquinas. That's it. It's Thomas Aquinas in the corner who kind of looks like her. You got to admit, it kind of kind of looks like her. Uh, but the, it's the brown. This is the here's the theme here. Every, everybody this looks is, like everybody do. You? <laughs> <laughs> so this is the order of the scapula. And they have had oh, many branches. Shoulder yeah. magic. Here we go. Here comes the Beetlejuice, y'all. Here comes the Beetlejuice. This is a this is a inside inside secret societies inside of secret societies backstabbing everybody who got them there, so that only the chosen ones will make it at the end. This order of the scapula has kind of uh, taken the place of the rosemary. Uh, you you used to identify uh, Catholics because they would wear rosemary. Uh, well, they rosary. says here. It, oh, sorry. Thank you, rosary, uh, which is kind of orosborosi. A rosary is very orosborosi. But anyway, it says in their own uh, Catholic encyclopedia that this shoulder bag has replaced the rosary, 
And that is now the inside uh, nod and a wink to those who know about the order of the scapula. This organization, I think, roots all the way back. I think they have um, hidden history, for one. I think this goes all the way back to Thomas Aquinas and also some some, uh, Trojan horse hidden in our language. I think that's what the order of the scapula knows about. And what's really creepy is they have strong roots to the Fatima. And the Fatima there basically is a a rearrangement of T for the mafia. Fatima and the mafia, same damn thing, same damn thing. So this order of the scapula is getting hail signs all through the arc of this movie. They're uh, giving each other pats on the scapula, which is a Mithraic inside nod wink. And this is going to be the finishing touch at the very last scene at the end of the entire series is a scapula uh, inner club to those who think that they're going to get exit pass out of purgatory. Uh, Early dismissal from purgatory is uh, how to summarize what they believe. Fixing something over on the YouTube. Somebody got a little trigger happy with Hiding somebody. So let me fix that. Unhide. All right, Jimmy. All is well. You're fixed. Uh, Daisy, <laughs> watch, watch your, watch your uh, moderate in there. <laughs> Probably one, one more, one more thing about the scapula. Uh, this so you're talking about a shoulder a bag, huh? It's a shoulder bag is like the inside uh, signal signal. Uh, but I think there's also shoulder pads. Like I do know that uh, in tactical policing, they have uh, they actually have uh, ways of identifying friend or foe by tapping each other on the back in a, in a in a crowd when they're dispersing a crowd. So that way, you know that this is in the club or out of the club. You don't have to turn and look because they have so much gear on. So hmm. that's another aspect of militarized tap on the shoulder. But um, because uh, I have a shoulder this, bag two slides from now. <laughs> <laughs> shoulder oh, bag is coming up. Okay. Oh, well, I just want to tie it to the Beetlejuice because we had the Beetlejuice was in the was in the zeitgeist uh, just a, within the last month. So this, I think, was also part of weaving the film to the heavens to the secret societies of the Catholic order. And it comes up again at the end. And I have another graphic for that when we get there months from now. You're muted, buddy. You're muted, buddy. Oh, looks like we're going to be taking two swings at every episode. So who knows how many months we might be finding time for these. But OK, the the next thing that happens as they're making their way through the TVA, they get out of the elevator and we see this. While uh, Mobius is recapping what he just heard from Loki. OK, and Sylvie kicking you through the time door into the past, yada, yada, yada. So specifically at the moment where he references Sylvie kicking Loki through the time door. Right at the same time, we see this limit your lunch break to 17 minutes. (laughs) So, okay, why are we thinking about 17? we got to match what's on the screen with the words that are coming out of his mouth. Well, the moment that Sylvie kicked Loki through the time door was in terms of her path up the tree of life. Her that was her going from Yassad to Netzach and the path from Yassad foundation to which is their, you know, it was their erotic union. <laughs> the, that was the meeting in the middle. And then they diverged and went separate paths. And she went the right side to Netzach, victory. 
And that path from Yasad Donetsk is correspondent to the star card, the 17th card. So we see 17 on the screen. He's referencing that specific moment, that threshold that she crossed. And it just happens to be the 17 card of the tarot in that moment. I, am I just seeing stuff? I don't know, <laughs> but I find that really interesting now here. Yeah, I mean, here oh, go ahead. Well, uh, you're nailing it with the star card catch because one of the keys to the star card I'm finding. So it's in the lust position, number eight uh, controller domineering with a shadow of lust. And uh, the body of that Thoth deck star card, she's in a corkscrew shape. Uh, well, lust screwing around. There are corkscrew nebulas in the Eridanus River. But look at the corkscrew DNA thread on this timeline here on the graphic. And also the 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 direct message of limit your lunch breaks to 17 minutes. The, the direct message is don't screw around. It should basically have a screw and a do not sign. It's as though saying you're not at the drill yet. Keep going. You can screw. At, keep going. The screw is yet to come. Well, the, the irony, too, of them being like above the temporal powers. They're the spiritual power at the TVA. Time doesn't work like that here. But there is a thing called minutes and you only get 17 of them for lunch <laughs> in a place where there's no day or night or anything. <laughs> That's a great point. Dude, you got your finger on the irony. That's so good. I there's keep so much irony. about all that. Yeah, but I like about the show is that they kind of play with that irony and they they make fun of it at points, which I enjoy. But then the next scene, they're continuing or same scene. They're continuing through the hallway and we see another mail carrier, another mailman. So he's got these bags of mail over his shoulder. What's in the bag? It's a bag of letters. (laughs) What's on the full card? A bag of letters over his shoulder. Bro. The scapula again. Yeah. Good. Yeah, man. Wow. I didn't see this. And I was on the scapula, the scapula cult. Another thing about them. I love how we're converging. (laughs) We we do our research and prep totally independent. And then we just come together. Totally. It's fireworks. Yes. So I I guess I might have missed that uh, in my explanation. Another aspect of this, this sect of secret catholic order is the brown is part of their motif and then uh okay UPS. i guess i should yeah let, yeah well let me let, let me, me say let, this let me get through a few uh more points i want to get all the way through the the divine wind can you can you hold your horses for that it's going to take a couple yes, slides yes. i want to yes, really I'll lay save some my stuff divine down. wind okay <laughs> okay so the other time we saw a mailman in this episode or as a male woman whatever or male androgyne because i don't know what <laughs> kind of questionable but loki does his full moment he jumps off the cliff at the beginning of the episode and he lands in a mail truck because the bag of the fool is a wind bag it's a bag of letters we covered this really deeply but to summarize in short the alif is uh you know it's said to mean an ox head or a bull's head but secretly it's a bellows it's a wind bag that's where the word that's fallus in Latin, which is where we get the word fool. So fool and windbag. Wind is mind. And there's so much to say about this. So I'm going to move forward. Just to kind of prove the point, the very next shot, we see these pneumatic tubes or what you call capsule pipelines or a PTT, a pneumatic tube transport network. 
this is sort of an old-timey way of a system that propels cylindrical containers through networks of tubes by compressed air or partial vacuum. I think most Americans are familiar with this because we still have them at banks. But I found out from my Canadian wife that they don't have that in Canada, and she's quite enamored by the, the magic wind tube. <laughs> so, you know, we're sending documents through these tubes, and it is interesting that this still exists at banks. Interesting indeed. But, uh, you know, sending documents, it re reminds me of <laughs> general docs. And in, you know, in this moment uh, where Loki is talking about he who remains, Mobius is like, can he back it up? You know, his claim to being he who remains. And well, what happens when you back something up? You document it. <laughs> so we're sending documents. We got general docs on the field. And we got to talk about this Exminos Oros, or the divine wind from the gods. Whenever the gods sent a wind, it is called Exminos Oros. And it is well known to all readers that the creator spirit is equally represented in holy writ by a fire or luminous glory and by a rushing wind. Aura, in Latin, may be used for a breeze. And the divine particular aure in a man is called animus and anima spiritus. That quote I just read is from Nimrod. His uh, is an older work on symbolism from ancient Rome and the ancient world. So what we're seeing here is a list of words that correspond to the idea of spirit and wind or the divine inspiration. So you have aura in Latin, pneuma in Greek hence the pneumatic tubes, psyche, also Greek, spiritus, Latin, the Holy Ghost, which is the Holy Gust, and the Hebrew ruach. So it's interesting to, to recognize here that there's a distinction between words that get conflated in Nimrod. He's saying that spirit and soul are the same thing, but soul is the specific wind filling up a specific bag or a vessel. And we got to remember, even though they tell us that the Aleph comes from the Oryx, the Ox, well, interesting that Aurox has Aura in it, the word for wind and spirit. So this Ixmenos Oros, the wind from the gods, humongous theme in this episode. And if you didn't know, the priests of Rome were called Flamen. So these guys were Flamen. <laughs> in more ways than one. Flamen actually means blowing winds. They were windbags. You know, they probably liked to orate. Oral. Aura. See how all these words relate to this idea? Whenever you orate, when you speak, you're expelling wind. There's like a breeze coming out of your mouth. And here's some Bible verses that illustrate the point. Genesis 1, 2. And the earth was without form and void. The word void actually is theo, which they say means chaos. <laughs> so God is chaos in Genesis, void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. Theum, abyss, means abyss. Abyss and chaos, basically the same word. And the spirit, ruach, of God, Elohim, moved. The word is more truly, you know, literally in the Hebrew, vibrated upon the face of the waters. So basically... The forming of earth is God 
on the water going blowing on the water. And then Acts chapter two, verse two. And suddenly there came a sound. <laughs> the word sound in the Greek is actually echoes. So it's actually a resound from heaven orano as a rushing mighty wind, which the Greek word is noise or breath. I don't know if I'm saying that exactly right, but it's pi, uh, new Omicron, eta, sigma. So breath of rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. So this is, <laughs> I'll leave it for here. Other than, you know, this idea of being inspired, uh, <laughs> or this, the spheres of the Kabbalistic tree of life, the Sephirot, actually by some rabbis, they called the Sephirot the uh, <clears throat> Sephira or the Zephyr Ruach, which means Zephyr is wind. So the spirit wind, Sephirot, Zephyr Ruach, you can kind of see even connection to the word Sephirot when you put those two Greek words together. So, oh, and I'm sorry, the Sephirot aren't called that. The Holy Ghost is referred to as that, uh, or sometimes referred to. Let me start over. The spheres of the Kabbalistic tree of life, the Sephirot, are the Zephyr Ruach, and the Holy Ghost is sometimes referred to by rabbis as Sephira, which is basically Zeph Zephyr, the Greek, a Greek word for wind. <laughs> also, phonetically, Sephir Sephira is the same as the Hebrew SPR, which is like where we get the word cipher, refers to writing and and concealment through writing. There's the, uh, in, in Homer, he uses a word penuma, which is like pneuma with an extra pay. And it's referring to being gifted with knowledge or inspired, you know, inspire, respire, filled with the breath of God. You're inspired enthusiasm. When you're inspired, you have enthusiasm and theos, right? So that all of this, I'm bringing this up because these are all things. The fool has a lot of that enthusiasm. He's inspired. He's going out on a journey, right? He's got his wind bag. He's carrying the, the bag of wind over his shoulder. So I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Gabe. Yeah, man, this is so much. Uh, so the brown is hitting that note. Uh, get it? The brown note? <laughs> For you conspiracy buffs, you know what that means. That is a windbag of for the old for the old heads in the crowd. Um, this brown aspect is also, I think, indicating um, Giordano Bruno, as we are bypassing the number six position on the enneagram, going from the seven down to the five. We're bypassing the six. Uh, can you bring up the most recent that I sent to you? Uh, the number six card is the lover's card. It is a wedding scene. It's uh, two, uh, two, uh, a king and a queen. Uh, I think the queen is uh, blonde, white skin. The king is black, dark. Uh, and underneath them are a couple of babies who are like their, uh, also their, their progeny is also being uh, married together. This card encodes Giordano Bruno. Uh, and there's the brown. And now Giordano Bruno's birth name was Philip Brown, which is Brown Horse. And now what I think I'm looking at is the origin of shit coding, of making everything that is brown into something that you that is unappealing or unwanted or un, 
uh, making you not receptive to this code. And what is coded in brown is going to. Well, well, they slipped a Baphomet in there. They slipped the Baphomet in chocolate. Theobromia, Theobromia is the Baphomet. If you give me the row into a P, it's an anagram for Baphomet. And that's locate you. Anyway, get me going. Uh, so the brown is uh, a guilt. It's a guilty pleasure, right? It's a guilty pleasure. And this is, a, I'm talking about the origin of shit coding, y'all. And it goes back to Giordano Bruno. Sounds like it's you're talking the, about fudge packing. Well, I'm also talking about hiding the profound under the profane. And this is what the stoic lens will give to you. And so as soon as it smells like poop, you should dig deeper <laughs> because there's something hiding underneath all that. Thomas Aquinas was encoding his name in the stellar tableau of the Pegasus. And the Pegasus would have to be a brown horse because it's a Trojan horse because it's made out of wood, but only the Stoics could get to that level of appreciation that Giordano Bruno's birth name is Trojan horse. Philippus Bruno, he is the Trojan horse. There is so much more information pneumatically packed within the apparatus that I just inseminated into your mind. And we're unpacking it right here and now, y'all. Uh, and then p the pneumatic, I, I have to say it weird. So the poo, the P is like hits with a bilabial breathed stop that pneumatic, right? It's hidden. You didn't, it was a little fart at the beginning of the word. You didn't real, no, really notice it was there. <laughs> um, that uh, was actually seated. Remember in the scene where they kidnapped Sylvie as a child and they put down that little rainbow device to make the whole timeline disappear. That was a constellation, and the name of that constellation was the um, Antlia Cluster, A-N-T-L-I-A Cluster, which is also known as Abel SO636, uh, uh, but they planted that pneumatic device, and here we are looking at the actual network where pneumatic devices come from. All of this Panuma technology is hiding inside of Giordano Bruno. And if anybody wants to unpack or, or wash off the gem that I'm handing to you, I highly recommend everybody uh, looks into Eros Unchained is a field of research that I think is the original Giordano Bruno Da Vinci code. Giordano Bruno was shit coded so that everybody would think they had a damn clue how this works. You go deeper and you're going to find out about um, uh, Eros Unchained. There's a whole bunch of, uh, there's a whole reading list. But here's the thing. The Ars Notoria is one of Giordano Bruno's uh, uh, things stored up in his palace, in his mind palace. And here we are talking about windbags. The Ars Notoria is one of his, uh, his key uh, uh, library pieces in his mind. And it's all about rhetoric and being a rhetorician and being a masterful windbag. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's fascinating. We're going right by the brown as we drop down into the five. And it's just so silly how uh, these colors have an emotional effect that kind of make us giddy and almost playful and childlike. Uh, and then, I think it's profound that it's profound that you just had me show the lover's card in your last weave because 
you have no idea that the very next slide in my slideshow is the mystic union of Eros or Cupid and Psyche. Not even kidding. It's like literally what I was about to talk about. Look at (laughs) that. Which is super in sync. We got to bring this up because if we're talking about the fool card, the fool card has these very specific symbols on it. The dove, the torch, and the butterfly. The dove and the torch are symbols of the mystic union of Cupid and Psyche. Cupid being Eros. So is the butterfly or it's chrysalis. You see in a lot of imagery of Cupid and Psyche, there's a butterfly above her head here. Or in other depictions, you will see she actually has butterfly wings. That's pretty common for for Psyche. And then you have uh, a dove shows up in a lot of their artwork, too. So the the butterfly or its chrysalis, that's an emblem of the metempsychosis, the transmigration of soul. That's what Loki keeps doing when he's time slipping. He's he's caught in the. Uh, repeating, you know, the, the repeating wheel of metempsychosis. Actually, this entire season is about that journey. It's about Loki breaking out of the metempsychosis and sort of like a a Gnostic type allegory to escape from the wheel of reincarnation and repetition and transcend. That's where the whole season will wind up with him finishing that. Uh, but to understand the mystic union of Cupid and Psyche, you know, this is <laughs> even the word Vesica Pisces is actually the Pisces is pretty much psyche, in my opinion. That's the the portal, the birth portal. Uh, but this this union symbolizes God blowing the spirit or breath into Adam. So Eros is the created man, the body. Psyche is the wind or mind or pneuma the Holy Spirit animating the body. You could look at it that way. It's not only that, <laughs> but Eros, you know, it's, it's the same as the word air as Dylan is pointing out. <laughs> so there's definitely a connection with breath there. Uh, Psyche is the pneuma hagion, Holy Spirit. It's the, the mind that animates the physical matter, something, something like that. And the Thoth deck full card has all three of these symbols and that torch is also part of it. But while we're on the subject with the dove, especially, let's look here. This is called an inx. I think that's how you say it. It's I-Y-N-X. Inx in Greek mythology was an Arcadian nymph and the daughter of Pan and Echo. So here's Echo showing up again from back from when we talked about the uh, the myth of Narcissus. So she... Inks was the creator of a magical love charm known as the Inks. So named after her, a spinning wheel with a neck bird attached. <laughs> but when you find, we keep going into this, you realize, okay, it's the, this bird on the wheel is really a dove and it's also a Phoenix. So Inks used her enchantments to make Zeus fall in love with her or with the nymph Io, depending on which version you talk about. When we, so when we bring uh, Zeus's bewitchment or being jinxed, <laughs> inks, right? It's the same word, J and I, interchangeable. Zeus getting jinxed into falling in love with Io. Io, who is the cow that, or becomes a cow, that's, uh, let's see, kidnapped and taken to Egypt. It's the exact same story. And even Herodotus says so. 
as Helen being abducted and taken away to Troy. So when we talk about Io we're ta- uh, and Zeus, we're talking about Helen and Paris. It's the same. It's the exact same mythos. So all of these, <laughs> there's so much going on in this slide. So you see, this is a, the middle here is arrows holding an inks. This is an ancient earring, supposedly from 330 or 300 BC. So this is a very old symbol. Uh, the inks wheel is actually identical with Hecate's wheel. It's the same wheel. Also in the ancient world, you would see the circle, the X in a circle with the dove or Phoenix on the circle. Uh, still alive and well in pop culture today. There's a song by Dua Lipa featuring Madonna and Missy Elliott. I mean, and this screenshot is from the blessed Madonna remix. The song's called Levitating. And look, the record spinning has Hecate's wheel in the record. This is an in, this is a jinx. It's to make you love something that maybe otherwise you wouldn't love. Another version of the the wheel would be the eight-spoked wheel, as you see here at the t- from the Temple of Hecate, or a Temple of Hecate. So there's lots of different versions of this wheel, and we got to talk about <laughs> we got to talk about how this is still in play, guys. Ever heard of the Hunger Games? <laughs> this is the symbol of the Hunger Games. It's about sacrifice, and what's the sacrifice? It's actually, you know, referential to a time when. The, you know, I brought up, you know, there's competing cults. There's the the female cults and the, the male cults coming together, splitting apart, sometimes at war. And because of that, the, the mythos never really changed. You know, when the when the two sides, when the war of the sexes was off and they're together, the oftentimes the god or or the preserver, the, the divine child would be an androgyne like hermaphrodite. Then other times it would be the male, which we're more familiar with, your Hermes, your Odin, your Jesus, etc. But there's actually versions where the female is the savior, believe it or not. Uh, Semiramis. Semiramis, who is exactly the same as Helen of Troy in a ton of her sy- uh, symbolism. Semiramis being, I guess, a Babylonian uh, type. But the name Semiramis actually means dove, believe it or not. And she's... <laughs> I'm going to get to that later. I just want to point out... <laughs> She's other than the fact that she's crucified. And I'll talk more about that, that this bird in the hunger games is a mocking Jay. There's the echo repeating what others say. <laughs> what do you Gabe? What do you say when two people say the same thing and echo each other at the same moment? Jinx, bro. You owe me a Coca-Cola. You owe me some Santa. Remember the jinx Santa. is the daughter of echo. So how is this still in our culture? Like how ancient is that game of saying something at the same time and saying jinx? Anyone know where that came from? Seems might be really far back. That blew my mind when I realized that. Also, who what That's else cool. what else parrots your thoughts? Birds of paradise? Birds of paradise? Parrots? Yeah, man. <laughs> the yeah, Phoenix man. is a bird of paradise. So there's a there's probably a much deeper weave here. Had to point out mm-hmm. too that you know, if you do some letter swaps like K to G and T to D, Katniss from the Hunger Games is God Nisi. That's Dionysi, the female Dionysus. Uh, not that, dude, the Hunger Games image, like the logo, it's the exact phoenix or, or dove on the wheel. And 
It's holding arrows. What do you know? <laughs> huh. Funny thing, too. What do you put arrows in? When you feel erotic love, arrows, you might quiver. <laughs> you might nice. just quiver. But nice. Gabe, I, I got one that's really going to bake your noodle here. So <laughs> Godfrey Higgins, oh, yeah. Anacalypsis, he says, the wheel denotes the world of which she is the spirit and the cross, the sacrifice made for that world. Yinks is used for love, desire, appetition, and thence the Latin word yungo, meaning I unite. So what's young all about? He's about uniting the anima and animus, the masculine and feminine within yungo. And our name for the age of sensual love is young. (laughs) (laughs) Man, oh man, you're putting it all on the table right here. Well, there's okay. a little more. Let me just say a couple more things about this slide. Then I want you to go nuts here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm taking notes. <laughs> when you look up the ancient Greek word for dove, you'll probably get the word peristera. Or I'm probably saying it wrong, but basically that. Uh, theoretically derived from para ishtar, meaning the bird of ishtar. Dove. Dove is a bird of ishtar. We know that for sure. But another word, pleas. Or Pleiades also seems to mean dove. In fact, the Pleiades is referred to literally as the constellation of the doves. So, and where is that at? It's with the bull. (laughs) Venus. It's in the Taurus area of the sky. But okay, okay. I'm going to let you have at it. Because, dude, this is young. It's the uniting of the masculine feminine principle. Right, right. So, oh my gosh so much here <laughs> the, um, so the world card in the Thoth deck is the universe card and that has such powerful correspondence to the Carl Jung's Agatho Damon ring which I recommend people go get your own receipts on this and be thorough check multiple sources and get both sides of all the stories always get two sides of all those stories because his ring is two sided on one side, it has the uh, this the very exact serpent um, that this constellation that's embodied in this card is uh, imbuing, and this is a, this is a hidden truth. I don't think you're going to get this in the tarot books. It is the Indus constellation. It is hidden down in the southern hemisphere, which is funny. How many birds of paradise are flying around this Indus constellation, uh, signifying the birds go south for the winter? But also some people believe that that's because there was paradise down there, that the birds know what's up and they can fly. Some people thought they could fly through vortexes to other planets like Venus and then come back for the for the spring. You know what I mean? So all of the uh, animal magnetism of this master's touch of the Indus constellation is imbued in this card. The Indus constellation, he has the magician's table at his disposal and all the things he could need to do great works. And I'm going to, I'm going to plant this. I have the evidence and the receipts, but we're on in a rush. Carl Jung's name is almost conjuring. Carl G. Jung is almost conjuring and his ring has a fascinating history and a fascinating amount of weight. I think he had his head, his hands on the war scroll from the Dead Sea Scrolls 
They, everybody should go watch the last in Tripoli and get your head around what that might mean. Okay. But yes, the world card is the Agatho Damon ring of Carl Jung. I think that it could even be the ring of Gyges. It could be the ring of Solomon. It could be a very significant ring, um, all things considered, uh, especially in the time and place where he was politically as a linchpin for the history of the collective of humanity. He is basically the Indus constellation working uh, augury reading on humanity and all of our ag- animal magnetism uh, due to our obedient behavior. Uh, animals are obedient. They obey the, the call of the Lord. Humanity is blessed and cursed with disobedience. And that is the, uh, that's the wizard's conundrum. But uh, okay, I'm going to walk away from that. That, is, oh, that what's was his, amazing. What's Ouroboros' nickname? <laughs> OB. OB. <laughs> Disob. Yes. <laughs> Disobey, but that's this right. This is God. Dis. Yeah. He's the God. Nice. The God OB. I love Funny. It. I love it. This Except is, he's actually is so pretty funny. obedient. <laughs> so oh, that's a good point. Another thing we gotta add before we even get back to talking about plot from this episode. I'm laying all this out because it is it is below the surface and maybe even kind of overt in some ways. But we, I wanted just everyone to see how all these ideas connect. So again, from Nimrod, he says, we read in Pindar of the venereal, venereal bird, inks or jinx, bound to the wheel, and of the pretended punishment of Ixion. But this rotation was really no punishment, being, as Pindar saith, voluntary and prepared by himself and for himself, or... If it was, it was appointed in derision of his false pretensions, whereby he gave himself out as the crucified spirit of the world. So Ixion predates the, the Greek mythologists, <laughs> but like so many things, either the Greeks fouled it up and confused things or they uh, somebody came, came along and forged some documents and called it ancient Greek to throw people off the trail. But yeah, Dylan just nailed it. Crucifixion. Crucifixion has Ixion in it. So when you go look up like the mythology of Ixion, it's not (laughs) going to make a whole lot of sense. But mystically, Ixion on the wheel is the the savior that is internally crucified. It's the, you know, could be pole star symbolism. It's the thing, the point, the peg that everything rotates around. And the key here is like Odin and like Loki later in this episode, it's a sacrifice by himself to himself and for, and then thus the world benefits from that. Virgil says, atque ixioni vinto rota constituit axis or in the English by the wind of Ixion, the axle of the wheel stopped. So what's the wind of Ixion? That's the mystery. This is cool. Uh, this makes me think of a, a magician's trick where they, you know, saw a woman in half and all the audience is like, oh, my God. And some people pass out. Uh, uh, Houdini used to do that. He would actually tell people, try to hold your breath as long as I'm under this water. And then so people would actually like try to in the crowd. They would like engage with his performance by sympathetically uh, uh, enacting his own suffering. And so uh, that's kind of the fiction that I see here in this curse of fiction of uh, just because you see somebody pretending to suffer, uh, 
are oftentimes we uh, over sympathize. We synchronize to what we're perceiving. So he could be on that wheel having a good old time. It could be like a, a cush fun ride and he's just, oh, the agony. And we all hold our breath when in fact it doesn't hurt at all. He might be having a good time. That's kind of funny. <laughs> and lest we forget the symbol called the ichthys, which in modern times is the, the Jesus fish. But in right. the in the past, what was it? This is what it looked like. Yes. There it is. Hecate's wheel, baby. So right. <laughs> Jesus is the goddess. Jesus is the androgyne. It's the same guy or the same being. And prove, provably so, because Semiramis, who is Io and is Helen, on her... Yeah. By the way, Io is yo. That's, yeah, it's God. <laughs> it's the same word. Io, one zero. She So Semiramis and Helen, both, uh, were killed by crucifixion. Upon her death, her soul flew away in the form of a dove. Her, so, her soul flies away in the form of a dove when she's crucified. And actually, the exact same thing is said of the Roman emperors who were apotheosized, the ones who they made into yeah. gods. When they died, they flew away as a dove. Okay. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. So, this is like they become that exact asterisms. thing is going to happen in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what's fascinating? Um, so, uh, for me, Jesus is the number three on the Enneagram. He, uh, he could be in all those other places. He has a strong number three, Arix Simakis, XI. Arix XI Machis was the number three speaker in the symposium. So, I had already put the Jesus uh, uh, Ichthion, Ichthus uh, icon. Yeah, and they both start with the- Iota Chi, IX. Totally, totally. And the two cards that are in that spot are the Empress, who was uh, the Machiavellian veiled one who is Mod Gone-esque. And the other one is the Hangman, number 12. And the Hangman is obvious. It's a no-brainer. It's the Hangman. Heck yeah, buddy. Heck yeah. But all both number threes who are achievers, uh, performers with a shadow of deceit. And there's the fiction. There's the fiction. You're calling it out. Their shadow is deceit. This is a number three personality type. And I know that all the heroes kind of com- combine into the same, but I'm saying the difference has more weight. The difference is where the real gems are. And what you're describing, it can't be anything but a number three on the Enneagram. So what I want everyone to make of all this is that the symbol of the wheel, whether it's Four spokes, six spokes, eight spokes, regardless. When you see that in antiquity, you're probably also seeing a symbol of the cross or crucifixion because this is a torturous way of killing somebody equivalent to crucifixion. A hundred percent. The same thing. Maybe even, yep. a, I don't know if, I don't know that it's an earlier form, but it's symbolically, mystically, it's the exact same, uh, type of death or sacrifice. Yeah. I would uh, maybe like a a huge summary, just a shot at it would be like a, a, a man, an ahistorical man does not exist. If you're not on the books, if you're not on the records, if you're not fictionalized, if you're not, uh, uh, admitted into the priest class, to get into the book of life. 
then you don't exist. And they can hold these high ideals of priest class control history. And, oh, maybe if you're a good boy, you'll come and please us enough that we will immortalize you. And then maybe we'll t- talk good about you at your funeral. And if your fam- pa- family pays the the cemetery dues, then we'll keep a good spot for you. But if they fall behind, we might move your body to the bad seats in the cemetery. This is all holding high ideals over you for the rest of your life. And that is the torture. They're holding the chance that you might influence fiction. You might be commemorated by the, the, those who come later. Um, and that is a nasty, nasty, uh, it's a hostage situation. Actually, it's really a hostage situation. It's like, we'll stop, we'll stop torturing Loki when you guys all get in line. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. All right, so back to the show, Loki. The, they enter into the RNA department, and we see our titular character for the episode, Ouroboros, descending from above. The, the aura, the aura, divine wind, Boros, <laughs> descending from on high. Just like, you know, the spirit comes from above, descends down into matter, into flesh. Ouroboros could literally mean spirit or wind or breath and then eating borosh uh i find it interesting though here we are like with the rna uh touted as god's gift to public health in terms of the recent medical experiments and rna is said to be by the science trade trademark the messenger aspect of dna so that kind of makes it the mercury or the mailman in a way which is fascinating because we've got all this like pneumatic wind mind language going on uh and then the rna is that representative of the cell according to the science but as he drops down he literally says welcome to rna i mean we're not we're not just like seeing that he says it out loud it's he says it right and raw yeah man (laughs) And uh, what a, a brilliant casting choice for them to pull him. Uh, he just won some awards, uh, but this is really hitting the nostalgia spell in fascinating ways. And I'm starting to see a fingerprint of a specific methodology here. Uh, Billy D. Williams, the guy who played Luke Skywalker, this guy, they were all removed from the world stage for a prolonged period. They all had an extended like, oh, we had our success. We never thought they would come back into Hollywood. Is that Lando Calrissian, Billy D. Williams? Yes, yes. And uh, Billy D. Williams got the GOAT award for the longest time off the stage. He has the longest stint not being on the stage. So he's a GOAT. And his name is Billy and William. (laughs) He's a GOAT, GOAT, GOAT. He's a triple GOAT. Uh, So... This, this aspect of removing characters from the stage for a prolonged period, it builds up a nostalgia. And when they hit the zeitgeist again, it's like Alka-Seltzer explosion of nostalgic. Because mm, this guy was in the Goonies. Is that why you're saying that? And what was the line? He had so many good lines. So I never many saw good that lines. <gasps> Oh, my God. You're not American. I don't think you're American. You're OK. You don't. You're dude. You're not really American. You should tell Jen. That you're not uh, really well, the local theater, they're doing a, a showing of it later this month. Should I go? Go, dude. Oh, totally go. So, right. yes. So this character, he plays Data and he has. Oh, man, there's so much went over your head. Chance, I'm going to pull it all down like your Philja for you. I'm going to go and hunt. <laughs> Thanks, bud. I'm going to hunt. 
I'm going to hunt all the birds that your Philja didn't catch. Okay. And I'm going to bring them down here uh, for onto the table for a bounty, just like a Magi card. All right. <laughs> so data was his character. He was a, he was a, um, machine expert because he was packing about, he was go, go to gadget. He was a Chinese go, go gadget kid. And, uh, and he had a funny accent. That was another thing that it was actually cool to like love somebody because they talk funny. You love them more because they talk funny. It was endearing. And today they want to convince you that if you do a Chinese accent, that you hate people. <laughs> it's endearing. These are things out of love. We're relating to them. We're in by we're in embodying them and imbibing in their essence by mocking and emulating them the best we can. And we're literally partaking of their spirit. If we imitate their speech, that's our breath. Yes. Yes. And here's the, how, you know, it's not hate is because you actually compete with your friends to do it better. You actually see who can emulate them better. And that is actually admiration. It's not hate. So this whole thing about like, oh, if you're this kind of demographic, if you fit that you can't emulate or enjoy or appreciate the other one, I don't know where that happened, but it was not happening when the Goonies were on. So that's part of the like the nostalgia value of this kid is like, oh, remember when we all used to make fun of this guy in a loving way, in the spirit of love. So it's like this huge heart explosion to see him on the stage and to see him succeeding as well, especially in uh, this is a a reverberation back from when they were saying uh, Chinese, what was it? Chinese violence or Chinese targeted violence was a big thing for like a six month cycle. So this is backlash from that. And now it's love bombing on the same note that uh, during the lockdowns, it was like, oh, the Chinese violence. I don't know. Asian, Asian hate. I don't know. It was a big trigger thing. And now they're giving us the antidote, anti-dote. We used to dote over this kid. And now it's the antidote to all the Chinese hate. So now we're going to Xi Jinping, let Xi Jinping, let Xi in is Netflix anagram. Let Xi in. So this choice is so profound uh, and I want to really lock him into the art card because the name of his department uh, is A-R-A, it's R and A, which is an anagram for A-R-A, which is the astronomical name of the Ara Altair constellation, that is his yellow table that he works upon. And on this table are all the implements of a good Magi. So the art card from the Thoth deck is taking implements from the old Magi card from Rider Waite. This is a blending of Sagittarian essences here. And uh, can you bring up the, the, the middle one that I sent you with the Sagittarius, uh, with the art card? Um, and you'll see right away. His entire workstation, his entire motif is this uh, an embodiment of this card, um, which I was convinced that this was um, Lady Frida Harris herself. I still am because she's a co-mason and co-masons have these high rolled sleeves. He also has the high rolled co-mason sleeves later in the in in his uh, built into his uh, uh, outfit. But I think she could be in anywhere because she made the whole deck. 
So as much as I loved her as this art card, because she is the artist, I'm actually seeing her elsewhere as well. So it's not necessarily Lady Frida Harris anymore. I'm loosening my binds on that on that attachment. But look at repairs and advancements is ARA, which signifies the R Altair constellation that is the table that he works upon. And it means change. The interesting you're bringing up change. the Taurids too, because that's the same spot as the Pleiades, the the doves, constellation of the doves. Yes. And so this will signify the divide. See how she has two faces, one over here and one over there. And she also has two sets of horns, kind of, the two crescent moons are crisscrossed like a samurai's helmet. She has a dilemma that's double horned or two headed. Uh, she's, uh, she's of two minds. And uh, this double terminated meteor shower is exactly signifying the of two minds. And again, remember the Messier marathon they, where they realized that the east and west split from 1054 was signified by a celestial uh, explosion nebula from the Crab Nebula, which signifies, again, this split between the left and the right brain anatomically to the heavens. And so that altered us. This is what altered us. This is the left and the right split. Uh, and the Crab Nebula is right in the middle of it all. Um, going back to the east and the west divide of Orthodox and Catholic, uh, um, and also, if you zoom in a little chance on the uh, on Mobius writing the word skin, I'm jumping a little ahead, but we'll get to back to it. I just want everybody to see how that that touchstone that he's touching and writing skin on is in the shape of the R Altair. It even has a weird the weird thing pronging off of it, the device that is also a prong off of the Ara Altair constellation. But what's cool about this is it fits geometrically into the Enneagram. The heptad of the Enneagram, when you take Ara Altair and you flip it back and forth, it actually makes the sacred geometry of the Enneagram. So this table that he's working at is a table that has master of all the components, all the pieces, the master's touch of the Enneagram. Uh, basically, uh, Oros Boros is like the slick dissident uh, workstation, all in one, all in one glimpse. You're looking at everything, all the pieces that I put together all the time, right there. Uh, I think you're right about that. I mean, <laughs> the level of how much is jam packed in one desk and all the shelves—that's basically got, the compartments of your mind. Yeah, you know, just like I got one more. Go, yeah, go get it. I got buddy. one. I got one more for you, man. This is so fun. So ARA, like I know that we know that that means glow. It means golden. And like all the, if, of course, it's a golden table. But or if you put the U in there, it's aura, which is the wind or the spirit, the breath. Totally, totally. Yep. So they've so they've altered our aura by uh, removing the placenta. And I think that there is a full apparatus that is uh, that is viable for future generations to come. I'm never going to stop uh, blabbing about it. Um, but so that that is part of the altar. Right. But it's also your alter ego. And like master actors, they put on another persona and they're really good at changing their own aura. And they can do it at the drop of a hat and they have to for a living. And this is why uh, a true spy is even better than an actor, 
because they really will fucking die if they screw up even a little bit. I sent you one more chance. And this, I think, is the, what is hiding out behind Oros Boros. This is the craziest, like, linguistical, we thought we had it all. Ara Boro. Ara is a table. Boro, they're borrowing or drilling. This is the drill of a drill press. And look at the uh, anatomical dynamic of her. She is like the drill press. And if you zoom in on her chest, she has an arrow in her breastplate. But also there's aspects of that rotating, uh, uh, the rotating dial. Uh, she has the multi multiple breasts like a Hecate, a true Hecatean uh, symbol has like, you know, that like six boobies. But those are also like uh, holes that a drill press would be uh, pressing through. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? So this, I think, is, um oh, table exercise. Hold on. Table. No, no, no. A table drill. A table drill is a military term. Table drill is a military term. So when they we hear the word Orosboros, I think of this for, you know, oh, get out your tarot cards because it's clearly time to speak in military codes. But what's amazing is that Oros Boros is also a tabletop exercise. They're doing drills. They're running auguries. They're finding out. Uh, they're sampling our responses and then changing the plan on the fly with audibles. Uh, this is, I think, actually how the industrial military industrial complex really works. And it's not as complex as we thought, maybe. <laughs> Dylan wants to know if we said that R, R, A-U-R is light in Hebrew. I think when I mentioned Ouroboros could mean light eating and listed other things it could mean. I sort of alluded to that, but I wasn't clear. So well, that's kind of cool. Think of it as a like light eating, like an aperitif. They run a drill. It's just a little sample of what might happen. It's just an aperitif. It's a it's a little bit because the real game is uh, yet to come. And this is what happens in this episode. They actually go out and futz with the. Uh, they put on the suit. And they go do the the thing. Well, that's actually drill. not. It's just a drill. They're running the beta test. This is what they did with. Uh, with um, absinthe, when they wanted to prohibit uh, alcohol, first they ran the beta test on absinthe and uh, pushed it all off onto the black market and uh, put themselves in position to benefit from the price going up from it being illegal. And it was only a couple of years later before the 18th Amendment moon card gave us moonshine. And so the tarot consistency of get me going on the on the amendments in the tarot cards, but it's all there. They beta test this stuff as a drill before they come and wipe out uh, and put prohibition uh, fully on the map. So yeah, there's a turpentine weave with the Artemisia of the art card as well. Good stuff, man. I'm glad I got a good signal tonight. I can like pop in and out and rant in real time. It's so much better this way. So much better. <laughs> I'm really glad. I'm really glad we got you that Wi-Fi booster thingamabob. thingamabob. <laughs> so Ouroboros introduces himself. As he's saying his name, he knocks over a pneumatic capsule, one of those tubes. I think he's definitely associated with mind and wind as 
we see a bajillion pneumatic tubes actually, you know, scattered throughout the scene and uh, the slots behind him. Look how many slots there are. He's like at the ep. He's the like at the epicenter from where all this mail or these tubes are going to. (laughs) He's, you know, he's the uh, the CPU, the center of it all. He's the dot in the middle of the circle. And we get this. <laughs> Hi, he calls me OB. He says that to uh, says that about Mobius. Mobius calls him OB. So, what's OB other than a handy <laughs> abbreviation? That's Ab. He's the father of the book. Ab is father. Uh, you know, think about the word pa. P and B interchange, ab, ba, pa, ap, appa, abba, papa. It's all it's all words relating to father. Similar to how everything, like all these cultures have a, a ma for mother. So priests are called father. Ob is a priest of the Lord. That's kaf, hey, nun, yod, plus yod, hey, vav, hey. So basically like uh, <laughs> Yahweh, a, a Cohen Yahweh or a Kane Yahweh. It's the word for priest, Cohen, Khan, Cain, etc. So though priest of the Lord equals 111. We've got another one showing up here. Um, yeah, he's that's what he is. He's priest of the Lord. Then we have on his chest. Here comes the trefoil coming back in again. A trifolium, if you will. That's a Latin word that also equals 111. It's the, this guy was a child actor. He's in the Mickey Mouse Club. (laughs) This is the castration scar. This is the Mickey Mouse Club. The club is the sign of a fire in, which is spirit in, you know, elemental symbolism. All of that is in the mix as well. This symbol is creeping its way around in the episode, actually. I, I think it's there. It's three circles. They're not in the right shape, but to me, mm, I see it. Uh, mystically, the word foil is also leaf backwards. To put leaf backwards is foil. That's like they call a three-leaf clover or a just clover trifolium as well. That's a big deal. Oh, interesting. Yeah. App and ab also mean water in Eastern languages. That's handy. Since we're talking about Mim as the other, you know, mystical number. So this oh, is hold on. R-O, Ouroboros, R-O-R-O, Boros. The sun is the O, it has three phases, creator, destroyer, preserver. Trinity, there's a trinity of circles here. Solar symbol for sure. Dude, the, the app means water in some languages. That's like a one word uh, hyper sigil for aquatic ape theory. <laughs> he just told me that app means water in some in some places. That means that in some places, the word aquatic ape theory is a single syllable. That's a trip. That unpacks to something big, whatever that was. And the hundred monkeys. Whoa, Dylan, what? Bro, pull that back up. What did Dylan just say? That's the 100 monkeys that he just unpacked out of a single syllable. Whatever that was. Ape, right? AP is Associated Press. It's the daddy in the sky that tells you that tells you the news is the ape. And of course, your dad is an ape, right? If you follow Darwin, the Associated Press is your dad. 
what did he just say about AP means water in some places? The Eastern languages was what he said. I'm not going to be interested to follow Dude, that, that up. Please write into RH, RH and the Reese's macaque, whatever that glyph he just flashed, like fit like a, a huge puzzle that I never want to finish. That was crazy <laughs> what he just said. <laughs> so we establish here that uh, Mobius has memory problems. It's been 400 years or, you know, 40 with an extra O since uh, he saw Ouroboros. I think, honestly, this might be some kind of illusion about how writing causes the human memory potential to deteriorate. Why, you know, in the, the future version, he doesn't have memory of his past. But that's a side thought. Uh, looking at... Okay. Wait, maybe I got myself out of sync. Notes and slides. It's, it's a lot to keep up with. Okay, I'm on slide 66. Okay, perfect. So... OB has been solo for a long time. Sol, Solus, Sol Invictus is the Ouroboros, the, the sun, and revolves around eternally or eats itself, aka its own children, in winter and births them anew in spring. There could be, I, you know, I don't think so, but maybe the word fool could be, or maybe it's just mystically so, a misunderstanding of soul. I mean, looking up here where I have the Paradise Lost, you see the old typeset version of S that looks like an F. So maybe uh, I always thought that I always thought that there was some like mystical switch between fool and soul could be it's interesting. I already said this, but soul in Latin S.O.L. is 40 like mem hanged man. Uh, you know, this R O Boros is the sun, the O the Boros or also mystically the zero or the feminine power, something from nothing, light emerging from darkness. It's a theme that we're going to see start showing up in the episode now that we've got Ouroboros on the board. Uh, but Mobius's memory problems, his full name, according to like the, the show mm, supplemental materials, is Mobius M. Mobius. <laughs> so his full, his full name is Mm, you know, the initials, mm, triple A. And it's triple funny Mason that that's up. the case that his initials are mm, or mem because he's often shown eating in this show. And he's a strong seven in the Enneagram. He's the most clear seven in the Enneagram with a shadow of gluttony. Big time. You know why I say though, why I say Ouroboros is soul, soulless, the alone one is because 400 years ago was his last visitor. So he's been down here for hundreds of years by himself, just, you know, handling work orders for the rest of the entire time cop organization. <laughs> oh, this is funny. The logic fan left in the basement his entire life forgotten about. So basically just the actor's actual story. That's a good point. Wow, that is a very good point. They do that a lot where they uh, fuse the fiction in the in the uh, fact. I think of it as like stitch work as much as much as they can, like parallel the fact with the fiction and kind of counterbalance as they as they weave the story. Uh, yeah. Good catch. 
Paradise Lost, interesting uh, loft, like with the you know that typography F to the S switch. Uh, that's very fascinating uh, because he was coming down from a lofty place in that moment. There, uh, eventually, I'm gonna I want to put the uh, hot air balloon constellation on the map, and I want to hang it over his shoulder, Oros Boros, while he is in this constellation with this table, the R Altair that has well, a hot air balloon, like a, a wind bag. There's a wind bag. I just want to put it in the wings. I want to have it in the wings around uh, Oros Boros here uh, because that constellation, they kind of obfuscated it for a while, but we're going to resurrect it here in a little bit because it's 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 what he came off of when he hmm. was uh, came down from the rafters. He oh, was yeah. riding in a... Kind of like the fruit basket that Socrates was writing in, in his thinkery, uh, Orosporos is uh, descending from this lofty, uh, uh, strapping uh, pendu. He's like uh, hanging. He's a pendu. He's kind of like a pendu in his own right. Which Socrates yeah, absolutely, hundred percent, dude. That's so true. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> he's a total pendu right here. He's hanging. He's literally a man hanging. I don't know what else to call it. That's what's up. That's Good what's call. up. Uh, lots so, of sneaky stuff in the shapes and imagery around the scene in Ouroboros's workshop. Like, you know, blink and you'll miss it. But on the other side of the wall up here, we got, wait, what, what are these? Oh, we got just Hecate's wheel. You know, no big deal. Just the, the Dharma Chakra, the Buddhist Dharma Chakra, uh, a.k.a. Hecate's wheel, a.k.a. the Ichthys. There it is. It's totally. a wheel of Ixion yeah. just chilling in the background, waiting for, I guess, us to see it. We may be the first people to right. see this stuff. Right. You know, all right. Um, so we have the uh, the theory of large numbers with this gumball machine, that is that the more, the more people that vote on how many gumballs they think are in there, the, the average number is actually closer and closer to the, to the actual amount, which is exactly what all the data mining is about. His, his name in Goonies was data. So he's in the data hub of the, the panumic pneumatic device of the TVA. He's the heart center, which is the panuma, the pump. Uh, and I want to be I want to there's something interesting because we think of heart as liquid, but it is brushing up against the air in the lungs and collecting the oxygen. So when we say panuma and I say heart means pump and everybody goes to liquid, what is fascinating about just just barely missing the fact that this is spirit uh, this is soul. It's not really liquid or air. Well, people make the almost the exact same mistake about uh, Aquarius. They're like, oh, Aquarius means water. But oh, no, come to find out it's an air. It's actually an air element. So that little whiff that we just almost kind of want to be in both worlds is where the miracle happens, where the spirit fuses with blood. And then, uh, uh, yeah, so the hemoglobin is going to be a really big part of this. And I, just today, I realized that many of my little rote desires their names have heme, H-Y-M, in like six out of the seven start with the word heme. And so that's kind of on, uh, uh, in my mind around this pneumatic heart pump, this heart center that he's doing all the work 
keeping keeping things circulating. And I sent you one. I sent you one that I know you didn't watch Goonies, but this might help uh, give some more substance to his other characters. Uh, you saw everything everywhere all at once, though, right? You've seen that at least. Yeah. That's okay. A wild one. He's yeah. in that one. Yeah. Yes, he's in that one, and he's really he. That was him coming back. That was a bit his big comeback. That's where he got his laurels. Uh, laurels. Uh, oh, he's the Otto. husband. He's yes. And some people like let's, let's go to the transvestigation. Some people think that that's Michelle Yao and that they're tricking us. And this is actually Michelle Yao after a sex change. That's crazy. I don't want to go there. That makes me uncomfortable. But whatever. Uh, that co-mason sleeves is a feminine uh, Masonic nod. Oh, and then shred to ribbons is a huge Masonic threat. That's one of their oaths. Shredding to ribbons is actually Mark Twain immortalized that on his last page in one of his works. But then I just want to uh, point out OB. First thing I thought was obstetrics. He's putting stamps and seals and sending people on their way. He's playing the stork and the storgy and keeping everybody connected in the heart center here. Obstetrics. And then one interesting thing I found in obstetrics, they're talking about a branch. Hmm. Did that did the obstetric branch and the obstetric practices and the Hippocratic Oath take a couple shots over the past decade? Very likely. And then they deal with pre-pregnancy and postpartum. And right there, pre and post, I see the Kantian formula. This is the, the bread and butter of Immanuel Kant, who is a number five quintessential. He's my hierophant card. But the, uh, this art card is 14, which is also a number five. So the hierophant and the art card are both powerful observer iconography. Uh, observer, observer. And so he's descended down to this number five observer position where he's accumulating so much knowledge. And then this, I mean, Chance, I have really accumulated too much knowledge about the observer just by observing this character. Um, so one of his lines from Goonies was $50 bill, $50 bill, $50 bill. And they're like, what? $50 bill. And they go and they look and he had found a, a printing press for counterfeit money. And so the counterfeit printing press is also an implement of his office right here. So they're counterfeiting obstetric practices at this point uh, and manipulating the timeline by having agency over the pre and the postpartum with uh, MK ultrasounds. MK ultrasounds are the imprint. The MK ultrasound is the imprint. It's what makes you the subject for the very first time in this world. And that's where they get your template. Right. Yeah. And we established how ultrasound is used for fingerprint scanning too. Same exact. Right. Yes. So my theory is while we think we are informing them with our fingerprint, like here, let me tell you who I am and get and expose myself to your boondoggle. Look up boondoggle y'all. Okay. In fact, I think they're informing us with that first ultrasound. We think that we're giving our information into the private and they're getting all the benefit from it. But in fact, I think the ultrasound is doing a a nice steganographic switcheroo. Look up the difference between stenography and steganography. All these things I'm saying are here in this character. He's so supercharged. So 
I think the ultrasound is actually informing us, not being informed by us. It's putting an imprint onto us, and that is the real altar. And I think we have a I think we have a name, an ultrasonic name that can be targeted, uh, drummed up. I think they did this to uh, Carl Jung. I think Carl Jung was one of the first targeted individuals, and they were able to inspire him uh, from the external. I'll just say it that way. I think, uh, yeah, I think Carl Jung was not at all what he seems. Uh, Not at all. Go watch the Sam Tripoli episode, y'all. That last one was crazy. And then come back and watch this again. Y'all got homework. (laughs) I have mountains of Gabe homework, actually. So we we just uh, were on the wheels, right? We see the Hecate's wheels. Brilliant. Then Loki just all of a sudden vanishes and time slips into the past. I noticed the Sprite machine, old-timey Sprite machine behind him. There's the spirit, you know, spiritus or the wind that I've been talking about, just, you know, revealing itself in the background. Very nice. Very nice. Then. And you know what? Wait. Oh, guess I I told it's an aeroponic device. I don't know what that really is, but it looks to me like some of those old aeroponic uh, planter, which is pneumatic i'm saying the p on purpose the pneumatic device on one side that the word pneumatic means spirit and then here's the sprite on the other side of him and then this would have helped a lot of people with the with the lockdowns like the one really good secularized definition of evil this is for people who don't believe in any spirit one helpful uh, definition for the secularized mind is that penuma only recently is made to be conflated, confabulated to mean air. It originally means spirit or soul. And that would have been very helpful to convince people that that's more than air that you're breathing. You think that's air you're breathing, Mr. Anderson? Guess what? No, you're breathing spirit, you're breathing inspiration, you're breathing soul. Speaking of air, I didn't even put it in the slides. Priscilla noticed the the kind of horns behind his head here in the symbolism or like, you know, in the, the background of the shot, it looks like they're coming out of his head. That's <laughs> we're we're about to actually get a connection to Aries in this scene. But first we have to have this conversation where Loki time slips into the past and starts <laughs> talking to Ouroboros in the past. And while he's doing that, the present version of Ouroboros is having memories emerge in real time while he's talking to Mobius. So kind of Loki is talking to Mobius through Ouroboros from the past into the present. (laughs) Wait, he's talking to you in the past and you're just now remembering it. (laughs) Yes. Wow. That makes perfect sense. There's no flaw in that logic. So (laughs) it's kind of poking fun of it's at his own silly time travel mechanics. I appreciate that. Uh, Loki says, the OB in the past, I know you from your future, my present, your future. So Loki, he's the eternal aspect of being. So he's always in the present. He's not temporal. He's regardless of where he's showing up. He's not in the past or the future. He's always in the present for himself. Then we get this uh, whole explanation about to remedy the time slipping that he's experiencing 
OB says he's going to need a temporal aura extractor, a.k.a. the ability to suck the wind or the soul out of a vessel and put it back in. This is the temperance card. They're switching the, the spirit, in this case symbolized by the water, from one vessel to another. That's, that's what the card's about. Temper. <laughs> temporal. And he, like, this is all based on him learning to control or temper his temporal aura. <laughs> the, the mind, his spirit, a.k.a. time. If you go back to this episode I did with Keith, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Keith Barker. Great episode from a few weeks back. We have this whole interesting weave about like the self being course, like self, what it is you truly are and the mind being fully related to the idea of time. And it's even evident in your aura itself, the energy field around your body, the invisible spirit, almost like a wind that's rushing about you that has a time component in that. Like when I'm tuning somebody's biofield, I know how old they were when something happened that is stuck in the back of their mind and their subconscious causing programming. It's, you know, it's literally in a time chronological order, the way it shows up in people's aura. It's, uh, it, I mean, verify this for yourself with practicing some tuning, but, or getting one from me, but countless times I'll just pull it out. Like you had this exact thing happen. You were exactly this age and it'll be like a boom direct hit. So I know that that's the case. Now, what else did I want to say about this? Ah, it'll come back. <laughs> oh, but I guess. you know, he, this whole like learning of self-control of tempering his temporal aura, essentially, that's what the fool has to do to become the magician. So th this is a step along the path for him to return back up the tree of life on the other side at the end of the season, not episode, but season to get back up to the crown and have his like ascension to the super God that he becomes by the end. And while, while he waits, Loki's now waiting for OB to make a temporal aura extractor. Seems like maybe he's waiting a long time while he's doing that. He's, uh, He's doing some kind of patching uh, with leather, interestingly enough. I don't know. Maybe this is a more of a stretch, but the word, there's the horn sticking out of the back of his head that you can kind of see with the the background. The word tela is the a Hebrew word for Aries, actually. So I don't know why, but as a verb, the word for Aries has to do with patching. So I don't know if that may be like you patch up your spirit after winter, you know, you're reborn. It's like a repairing that occurs when the spring equinox occurs. It's Aries. And he's clearly doing what he's doing because he's like impatient, <laughs> impatiently waiting for Ouroboros to finish. So that's also an Aries trait. It's evident because he like drums on the countertop like he's he can't wait. Oh, there's lots of good stuff coming up. He pulls out the temporal extractor. Kind of looks like a, it's finished, you know, kind of looks like a, I don't know, a hookah. <laughs> maybe a one <laughs> on top of a zero, maybe something like that. Interesting device. Looks very Ghostbusters. And you know what, you know what I got, you know what I get from the device? I think it, um, 
Well, it's a great many things. Uh, one point is uh, the Southern Hemisphere is inundated with inanimate objects. And that is demonstrated by the chaos of the scene of his, his space is a bunch of junk. And so there's that aspect of the Indus constellation is, is surrounded by uh, kind of disordered like uh, uh, writer's crops and tele tele. Uh, uh, telescopes and all this just random uh, object as though it had fallen off the master craftsman's table or maybe down onto our table down in the inanimate zone of of on the ground down down south so to say but i think also we might be able to construe this as um the the young no i'm sorry <laughs> the jug that the uh, uh, aquarius the aquarius character has the jug of gnosis that he has to he's burdened to carry it over his shoulder because later on uh in in this episode that is what mobius has to do he has to wrestle with this huge burdenous object and then maybe he gets lucky and clunks it into place i think that is kind of a ritual of the aquarius character with the jug i call the jug the jung of gnosis because carl jung uh really reinforced the age of aquarius theme that aquarius is about knowing in terms of you know what it relates to mentally yeah in the zodiac progression yeah so that the carl jung being kind of the the brain father of the uh, agent not really the brain father but one of the the powerhouses of perpetuating the idea uh, really strongly facilitates uh, Carl Jung's uh, a- association to the jug that the Aquarius character is carrying. So that's my thoughts on that. Okay. So now in this point, Mobius starts explaining the complicated science fiction, process required to save Loki from his time slipping. And <laughs> There's a lot of jokes in this episode about getting your skin peeled off. It's Mobius specifically who's going to get his skin peeled off. And uh, wouldn't you know it, M. Mobius M. Mobius, mm, Mem, 40, and, uh, a Hebrew word that relates to 40 right here to, to cut off, to skin, to flay. <laughs> it's uh, what? That would be Gimel. Zion Lamed. So that's 40 equals 40. However you would pronounce that. Yeah, I, mean, I always point this, out okay. that this is maybe more of like a, a mysticism thing, not like an intentional thing, but I always like to think about how I believe it's Greek word for skin, derma, as in like dermatology. That's an anagram for dream. Yeah, man. You know, like yes. when, you, when you cut off, when you peel off the skin, when you come out of your skin, you wake up from the dream of incarnation, something like that. I love that. Yes. And it's also, um, mirrored is Latin for shit. And here we're shit coding. The most important part of your human experience is your dreams. Mm. Uh, I think, uh, I think a lot of psychologists could benefit from chewing on that for a while. <laughs> the fact that our dreams are there, they are a byproduct, much like taking, when you go to the bathroom, you're taking a reprieve, you're getting some rest, you're collecting yourself. So in a strange way, going to the bathroom is uh, like a little nap that you're stealing, you're like, uh, you're stealing away and regaining your fortification. Um, Chance, can you pull up the most recent one? This 
again, I, uh, I don't have time to go out to all of the places that, uh, that, uh, Orosporos brought me to, I'm going to try really hard, but on the skin in the layers and the peeling that you're, that you're laying down there, imagine the, uh, the art card is a chef preparing a meal in this cauldron. The cauldron is also Orosporos's table, the cauldron. And the onion is a key ingredient to any chef's masterpiece. And sure enough, when I started looking into what I think Orosporos means, I came across Dostoevsky in a very fascinating way. And Dostoevsky has what he calls onion ethics. And this hits all the notes. It's almost like all these guys studied the Enneagram in advanced ways that I could never even come close to because. Well, get this, dude. N and R philologically can swap. Orion is right there in Onion, and Orion is right there with the Torrids in the Taurus area of the sky. Very nice. Very nice. And it's a damn shame that the left and the right divide has not been remedied yet. Uh, it's a tragedy. Number five in the symposium was Agathon. He is a tragedian. And the number five personality types, these observers that stick to themselves, they have the spirit of tragedy. Now, I, I have to rant just a little bit. The Enneagram community wants the tragedy aspect to attach to the four. And that is because that's because money makes the world go round. So number fives. Uh, become greedy. They use greed to get over the tragic aspect. So the tragedy is now bled over to the number four personalities. In the original symposium, number five was a tragedian. Uh, and that, oh, there's so much to it. But I just want to say this. To come across onion ethics in Dostoevsky's gnosis is amazing because Mel Palmini is the muse of tragedy, and she's always she has her mascara running down her face. What fruit causes discord? What fruit causes so much tragedy? What fruit would Eris roll into the middle of the gods with the words for the fairest written on it that would cause the Trojan War to kick off? It wasn't a golden apple. It was an onion because an onion causes you to cry. The forbidden fruit of Eris was not an apple. It was a golden palm. Palm is also the onion. And so I think that is the encode of encodes from the epics. And I think Dostoevsky knew it. I think a lot of the academia knows that the true uh, fruit of discord is the onion. And then there's this crazy weave out there about onions make you stupid or vulnerable or susceptible to programming like fluoride. I don't want to go there. I fucking love onions. I'm not even going to entertain that. But to say that the Trojan War might have been because a certain food was brought into the diet that wasn't they weren't used to uh, and that they might have been fighting over cuisine that's something to think about. That cuisine causes fallout for war. There's so much to that, and it has to do with bringing swine and pig into certain people's diet in Spain, in particular. But uh, I'm going to leave that all aside. But if you guys want to fr uh, freeze that image, read about Dostoevsky and his uh, his man underground. Uh, he has uh, many books. All of his books are a good fit for what the TVA handbook might be. What Oros Boros wrote. Uh, but if it's anything to do with Dostoevsky, that's amazing. 
because he had a writing that influenced Nietzsche that was called Notes from Underground. And Nietzsche picked this book up and he fell in love with Dostoevsky. And the other book that it uh, was amalgamated with, it was actually, it was fiat. It was a, it was a counterfeit. The book that Nietzsche picked up that made him fall in love with Dostoevsky and learn about onion ethics and tragedy was a counterfeit book. There was a, a merger between two stories, Notes from the Underground and The Landlady. Uh, the publishers had falsified this book and Nietzsche fell in love with the false Dostoevsky. He fell in love with the counterfeit Dostoevsky, but it doesn't matter because the relationship was still good and the logos is still uh, uh, legitimate. So yeah, if anybody cares to get into some Dostoevsky, because I think Oros Boros is his man of the underground who is down in his basement fostering. Um, this is the birthplace of resentment. We are looking at the nesting, the, the, oh my gosh, it's a, it's a rat nest. It's a, it's a mouse's nest of resentment. Ideologically, everything I just said is packed into the hypersigil of Orosboros and has to do with Nietzsche's relationship to Dostoevsky, which makes Orosboros the man from the underground sending those letters. And the landlady is even in the mix, too. It's amazing. All right. Sorry. I had to get all that off my table because <laughs> there's so much more behind even what I might have implied. I love that you brought up the onion. And I, I didn't know this, but Dylan points out onions were also considered to be Aeon ton aeonon, symbolic of the ages. I literally have that phrase quite a bit later in the notes. <laughs> so we're Badass. we're all peeling back layers of the same onion here. So back and to the dendrochronology. Dendro that's the other thing about the onion is the dendrochronology, uh, the layers, reading time through layers, which is much like the aura. But the aura is the placenta. The placenta is a layer. Yeah, pretty pr pretty profound. Well, back to the plot, Loki is being told how he can save himself from being, you know, caught in this metempsychosis or the time slipping, reincarnating in different ages. He is basically <laughs> to do this, he's going to have to sacrifice himself to himself like Odin. This is the hanged man. It's exactly the metaphor of crucifixion. He has to die to be spiritually reborn, die to the flesh or die to the world, whatever you want to call it, die to time more specifically in this. Uh, actually, he's told he has to prune himself. And then it's, it's specifically said when something is pruned, it's removed from time. Well, you prune something off of a tree, you crucify by hanging from a tree. <laughs> the tree of life is time. It's leaves are lives, leaf life, right? It's the same word. Now, this whole violently rip myself from every thread of time and space. <laughs> he's told if he doesn't get the timing right in this ritual, then he's going to be, yeah, uh, he's going to be lost to time. <laughs> and we have Ouroboros here saying, you heard about how, if you fall into a black hole, you turn into spaghetti. Uh, the less you know about that, the better. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about spaghettification. Uh, basically it's like I pulled this from the internet spaghettification is when you fall into a black hole you get stretched out into thin strands by the black hole's extreme gravitational pull 
Luckily, this is a fictional idea, so there's no not not actually gonna happen. We showed this image of the supposed photograph of a black hole from the Virgo area of the sky, Messier 87. There's this uh, (laughs) description of spaghettification comes from an article called eight ways we know black holes really do exist from (laughs) space.com. The eight ways actually contain zero proofs that the concept is real, but lots of reference like all of their supporting evidence that are the ways they know black holes are real contain in the sentence, according to NASA or artists renditions, you know how it is. Black holes began as science fiction and they remain science fiction. But this is a perfect example of a big theme of Ouroboros as a character is fiction becoming science and science becoming fiction. It's a big theme of the whole season. You know, I I want everyone to realize that within your lifetime, probably within your lifetime, unless you're quite young, the black holes have gone from being science fiction and theory to common belief as if they were definitely real and provably real. As recently as only in the last 10 or 20 years, NASA and related orgs have been dishing out fake photos and proof. Before that, it was purely theoretical. This is the photo that they tell you came from a radio image And that's how we know black holes are real. I mean, there's nothing about that that is in any way proof of anything. It's a blurry orange circle. Give me a break. So don't let anyone make you feel dumb about not knowing about these science fiction dreams masquerading as established universal truths, astrophysics, etc. But it is interesting how the string thing comes up because we're going to talk about that a lot as this progresses. It's like string theory. The vibrating infinitesimal strings. It's the hermetic law of vibration. All the scientific theories are just repackaged mystery school concepts. Every time, all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, we. Uh, if anybody missed it, I highly recommend our last demystifiers where we went in deep about how the black hole is a hotbed of blackmail industry. If you can get behind that lie, if you can hide behind that lie, you can make an entire life for yourself hiding behind that lie. By the way, this black hole is in Virgo. It's the Virgo's black hole, the virgin's hole. It's like all the overtly sexual NASA stuff constantly. Yes, yes. Uh, Man, things like uh, uh, what the Virgo is a symbol of Langley, Lying tongue, Langley, because they hold their tongue. They stay virgins. They don't divulge information. They won't know you biblically, even if you beg, uh, if you're not initiated. Uh, could you pull up the most recent chance? Because this uh, this thing about shredding you to ribbons, cutting to ribbons, and notice we're talking about the black hole, this great big lie that is, has a whole industry built up behind it. And if you pull the linchpin out of that, then all the confetti in the hall, the realization of reality comes tumbling down. Cutting to ribbons is a Masonic inside joke, not wink. And this is how the blackmail industry has come so far, all the way back from microscopes, going all the way back from microscopes. Now, I'm jumping ahead a little bit uh, with the images, but I'm staying true to current events. This is important. We get this out now. Cut to rib bones. Cut to ribbons, shred to spaghettification. This has been seeded already from when we did the DSIT mom. 
Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, there was a scene where Reed Richards, he gets lifted up and and all of his ink cartridge of his 3D printer rub right to rub bare arms gets printed and he dies. She pops him like a like a spent ink cartridge. Interesting enough, your right to freedom of press is uh, amendment number one. But she already blew that guy out with a with a. Oh, I forget his name every time. The guy who's can speak Sonic, uh, the Sonic voice guy. Black Bolt. Thank you. I always forget his name. He had a tuning fork. So, of course, you would remember him. He had a tuning fork on his head. So he's the First Amendment. Reed Richards is the Second Amendment, the right to rub bare arms. He has rubber arms and she spins him and explodes him, shreds him to ribbons. This is a Masonic threat. All of the secrets are hidden behind the promise to cut you to ribbons. Mark Twain signified this. Many other insiders have signified this cut to ribbons. Uh, and sure enough, Orosboros is warning about spaghettification. And the less you know about that, the better. That is the secret of the shush, 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 shush. Don't tell anybody. The less you know. So he's telling you the Masonic signal for the less you know, the better, because you might get cut to ribbons if you violate the secret. Cut to the rib bones. The rib bones are showing. Look closely at the descendant of Reed Richards is Victor Timely. Uh, Reed Richards, he's got the four on his chest. Number four is the individual with the shadow of envy. Number four is the death card. Card number 13 reduces to a four. Victor Timely is going to get shred to rib bones, just like his dad did. These are all threats of the military industrial complex through the Masons that they're going to cut you to rib bones. In the comics, the Kang character is a a future descendant of... Fantastic Four's Mr. Fantastic Reed Richards. I don't know if they're going to establish any of that in the movie universe, but I just wanted people to know where you're, where that was coming from. Yeah. Yeah. So this all funnels the rib to the bones. That's where uh, that's God creating Eve. But, you know, interesting to, to think about how in the Hebrew, what is translated from Hebrew into Eve being created out of Adam's rib. It's actually... Yeah. The, the word that's being used is his side. And it's like Im- implicative of his, an entire side of him became Eve. So mm-hmm. I believe that the way that it was translated into English was the, <laughs> in many different cases, the translation is done the way it is to conceal that the Genesis mythos is completely Indian. It's identical to Buddhist and Hindu uh, Hold on. Co- cosmogonies. Identical, oh especially gosh. with the human being being in the divine androgyne, Adam and Eve together is one thing, and then split into like Zeus breaking the androgynous double-headed humans with the thunderbolt. Same exact story. Man alive. Okay. Wow, there's so much here. Okay. I'm going to say this because you mentioned that uh, it all goes to the east uh, in time. The red bone. Red bone is actually a, a, a un. It's a it's a it's a it's a race type that is off the map. And so the cut you to red bones, the red bone people, it's on the heel of Louisiana, this location where they were all migrated to and and treated very poorly by everybody because they didn't fit in anything. I think there's a there there 
but I don't want to go there. I just want to mention it because it is a because uh, it, it's on the heel. It's an Achilles heel of Louisiana. These red bones. Uh, so there's a vulnerability here that I'm not going to I don't want to get into too deep. Uh, but I want to talk about this, this fact that this death card is uh, uh, scorpion uh, in in Florida. They just had those kids in the mall that were uh, with sticks on the river. Sticks means hatred. So kids, hatred, mall. So we have hate crimes in the mall. These kids hating and whatever, all that seeding of bullshit. Florida is the Scorpio of the of the dictionary of the territories. This scene with Reed Richards was inseminating the idea of aliens in a mall. Look how it looks like they're in a mall. And this scene takes place with these huge giant black statues. And some of the statues actually fall on the characters. So the whole thing about what happened in Florida with the aliens in the mall was actually seeded through the uh through the Doctor Strange episode, and then re-resurrected and brought back out, unpacked through his descendant in Victor Timely in the realm of fiction. And then they're torturing him and kicking off the potential for people to see what their mind was uh, prepared to uh, witness. And one of those footage, one of the videos of whatever the monsters in the mall looked like a damn scorpion. It literally looked like a running scorpion, whatever that CGI bullshit was. So yeah, a lot of consistency around the Scorpio uh, in that mall spell that just popped off. I, I didn't know there was a mall involved with the, <laughs> I just assumed some, it was retarded. I didn't look into the aliens in Florida thing, but we, I don't want to go there. I just want to. Yeah, well, well, oh, go I, I got to say this, the thing of the word mall is a instant nostalgia grab. They're taking you and sending you back in time when uh, when Data was still a character in your heart. And so they're literally resurrecting your your dormant children, your dormant erotes, these little children in your heart that you were attached to when you were young. They just resurrected them by saying the word mall. Everybody hmm. transferred through time, just like Loki is being sent back in time to have a conversation with the character that we used to love in the 80s when the malls were the hot shit. <laughs> it's all connected man <laughs> so this is artist depiction of a black hole right this is one of the most common ways you'll see it illustrated because of course it is art it's uh, science fiction so <sighs> I just wanted to show how the black hole basically looks identical to a pupil <laughs> The there's this what they say about the stretching and the spaghettification with black holes is that as you cross this point and the black hole called the event horizon, as you pass that event horizon for you, uh, you would feel like time was speeding up as you got closer to the singularity, but that you would never actually get there. This weird time warp. This is all just theoretical physics mumbo jumbo but from the outside someone watching would see you slow down infinitely as you got closer it's kind of like a i think it's like a metaphor for what life is a macrocosm of of life a life because as you know as you get older other people see you slowing down but time is speeding up for you you know as you get closer to the singularity the black hole the the moment of death whatever right there's a big parallel to that um <clears throat> But I think that there's some kind of worldview warfare here that the ultimate fate of all things in the cosmos is to, you know, collapse down into a singularity, the endless entropy idea. 
But there's also back to this event horizon. There's the idea of the ring past not, which is something I'm going to talk about later in the episode, but it's something you can look up if you're curious, if you don't get that far, the ring past not, it's like, it's essentially like the limits to what we can know, understand, uh, what God can know and understand about himself, the limits of selfhood. It's the, the ring of time in a, in a way we'll get to that though. So, cause I want to kind of get us moving now that we're on spaghetti. Notice how Loki's time jumps, make him look really stringy. The word string string is spaga in Latin. The tubes overhead are very spaga. E then, Loki and Mobius have an argument over who has the riskier job to have your skin peeled off or to be disintegrated. Uh, Loki, when Loki proclaims there has to be another way other than me pruning myself, then Obi hands him the pruning stick, uh, holds it horizontal perpendicular to his own body, forming a cross with his trunk and the stick, basically as if to say, no, there's no other way. You got to crucify yourself. Like if we weren't sure that this moment where he's going to, get pruned is a symbolic crucifixion. Well, here is the shape of the crucifixion coming in loud and clear, very strong. And then Loki's or then in uh, the lamp flickers behind everybody. And Mobius tells Ouroboros about the TVA having power surges. And this totally unsettles the otherwise a kind of excessively cheerful Ouroboros. Now notice that when, Mobius mentions power. This is the first moment in these scenes where Loki and he and uh, Mobius are positioned so that the camera can center on the entry passageway, which from this angle that is finally being revealed in full has the outline of the shape of the Greek letter Omega. Now the ohm is a measurement of resistance between two points of a conductor when a constant potential difference of one volt is applied to those points in a current of one ampere is produced in simpler terms. It's the equivalent of one volt per one ampere. So an ohm is a measure of electricity in technical terms uh, or mystical terms. This is mercury, the messenger between the poles or the arrows, the erotic spark between mother and father. So they call, they call this measurement of electrical power, the ohm. And we have the omega which is the the symbol for ohms as they're talking about power and power surges. The electricity is flickering. So we better start talking about the ohm a little bit. The first thing, though, before we, <laughs> before we get there, I have to get us into the Tectractus again. Tectractus came up back in episode five. So if you recall the significance of the word for Aleph, the letter on the full card, when it's spelled out, it's equal to 111. So if you take the word Eloha, which is God singular in Hebrew, and you layer it like the Tetractus, one or uh, Aleph, then Aleph Lamed, then Aleph Lamed Vav, then Aleph Lamed Vav He, that all put together equals 111. So the name of God is encoding this 111 in the Tetractus. But then if you do the Tetractus with the yad he vav he, the uh, other four-letter name of God, you get a 72. Also a very mystical number pertaining to cycles, which is what this episode has a lot to do with. Big time about cycles. (laughs) 
Now, bringing it all home, <laughs> uh, the word in Hebrew for om, A-U-M, Aleph, I-N, Mem. That equals 111. So <laughs> we're seeing the ohm. We're getting the power surges. And all of this is circling us back down to our 111, the, the mystical number of the full card, the three and one, 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 one. Also, the Greek word house, oika, is 111 in Greek gematria. Omicron, iota, kappa, iota, aleph. It's the home. <laughs> home has om right there in it. And as they leave Ouroboros' little home and they're walking through the larger abode of the TVA, we keep seeing these power surges causing them to be in the dark. <laughs> Did you get that, buddy? Did you get this part? The Hebrew word ohm is 111. <laughs> That's badass, dude. There's so many one one ones. This is amazing. It's all up and down. And we're about to get to the most blatant one 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 that's in the show or in the episode. Man, uh, b- uh, before we go too far from the the electricity uh, shattering uh, Ouroboros' uh, paradigm, that's, uh, that's his uh, black swan moment which is uh, relates to the filja and the fragility of your paradigms. Um, something I'm uh, just learning recently kind of came across my radar is that uh, a, there is a really fascinating argument about the English language that we're actually um, so many times we use words uh, that we think we're talking about a cause and an effect, but our language has this uh, this flaw in it that I'm just kind of getting my head around. But one example is like when we say the lightning flashes, we think that uh, the lightning is the cause and the flash is the effect. But in fact, the uh, fl- um, the word lightning is the thunder. Isn't a- <clears throat> the thunder no, 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 is- no, okay. no. Nope. When we miss, yeah, we're misspeaking on purpose for the example. When we say the lightning flashes, Lightning is the flash, and it's not the cause. It is the effect. And we have these things that we do many times. But if we had said the thunder flashes, we'd have been right because the – or no, no, no. Ah, oh, see, it's a tricky one because the thunder comes after. But well, The ancients had this. Great- they had like the whole concept of – the mystical concept of the Aleph is about the hidden uh, – the, the concealed cause – of effects right. that we witness. That's what this is all yeah. about. So like the yes. ancients had that on lock with the idea of assigning to the deity, the role of producing the lightning. They, they yes. recognized that it must be an effect in and of itself is not its own cause. Right. And so here, what I think I'm saying is, and I, it, it is a study in itself. I'm sure there are books on it, but maybe a great amount of the words we're trying to use to attach to actual rubber meeting the road, a great many times we're actually just spinning around in effect, talking about effects. And in fact, there are very few words that actually give us a uh, uh, purchase. We don't have a sufficient uh, n- uh, notion of which words give purchase to the cause. And we can, in fact, spend all day talking about effects. And somehow our language has a bit of a regulatory aspect that only the certain priest class have the words that give real joinder to causation. And I think that maybe 
this sentence, we're having a power, we're having power surges might have been one of those terms of art that only an engineer would recognize and be like, did you just use the TVA handbook that is the only phrase that actually links to causation? Because what everybody else is talking about in the offices are just effects. And so that might be what shattered his paradigm when he's like, how do you know what a power surge means? Now I know as soon as, so this is like a, if I were to email you, hey man, I got some red mercury. You want to come over and we're going to, we're going to sublimate it tonight. Bring the sulfur. Well, then our text message would buzz the network that, oh, they got, these guys got the recipe. So when he, when uh, Oros Boros, no, when Mobius says a sentence that actually attaches to causality, Orosporos knows that the cat has gotten out of out of the bag because the kids are using real words now. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you point that out because what we're trying to do here is demonstrate that mythology is is a technical jargon. That's what mythology. That's the function mythology served in the maybe the pre-literate world, and then once things got more openly literate, some of that some of those terms of art were lost anyway that's a big yeah that's a big weave to consider technical jargon now i want to point out though that yeah oika the word for home is 111 home has got the ohm in it uh there's this idea of the like argent vive right the living silver quicksilver that which, by the way, Argent Vive in Latin is a one one one. We already we pointed that out last time. That the home of Argent Vive is the abode of darkness. Uh, that's our inner world within us. Like close your eyes, it's dark, right? But your mind, the Argent Vive, can illuminate the dark. It's the light in the darkness. You can literally light up the dark of your mind's eye with that imagination. So <laughs> there's something to be said about how like their home is dark and they're on their way to find the source or the spark that powers all the electricity in the TVA <laughs> to rectify that. They're going to find the Argent Vive of the TVA. And as they pass by, they happen to run into B-15. She's like, things are a mess upstairs. Things are a messier <laughs> upstairs. That's uh, a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> and they pass on by her. And this is the part where the blatant 111 shows up. Okay. As they walk through the halls to get to the temporal loom, they pass an 11, a 22, a 33, a 44, a 55, blink and you'll miss them, a 66, a 77, an 88, and a 99. So let's add it all together, folks. <laughs> 11 through 99 added together gives you 495. 495, what's common to all these? They're all integers of 11. So if you, let's just go ahead and divide that 495 by 11, and we got a 45. 4 plus 5 equals 9. So we have this like sneaky 911 happening. We have, more importantly though, the 9, Inea is the Greek word for 9. Inea in Greek gematria equals 111. And what would the next number in sequence be if you were to guess? 11, 22, 33, 44, 55, 66, 77, 88, 99, 111. That would just be the logical next number. 
And what happens after they pass the 99 is they go, that's where they're going. That's the entry portal to the temporal loom. This one blew my mind. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is, this is the point where I'm sure that what I'm talking about with the 111s and the Aleph is like, to some extent, actually in here, somehow you know, on purpose, demons did it or the creators did it or both. I don't know, but it's, I mean, that's the most implied 111 possible. Get the whole sequence, 11 to 99, 111 would have to be next. <sighs> Buddy, this is awesome. So double double integers are always twin signifiers. Um this is actually how my Enneagram, the entire Enneagram chart is two number one cards, two number two cards, two number three cards, four number four cards. In every station, there's two cards in each station, one representing the, the whatever, the, the better self, the virtuous self, and the other representing the vices. Uh, and the fact that it adds up, these numbers are adding up to uh, four, nine, and five are the central Hornavian group, like a spear of destiny going right up the gut of the Enneagram. Four and five opens the gap of the Pythia that your uh, consciousness flows through, and it points directly up at the nine at the pinnacle. Um, I just think that, it's wild that if you if you divide the 495, if you divide it by 11, the nine disappears. <laughs> you know, like the, there's yeah, such man. a nine eleven thing. Because the nine is self-consuming, the nine numerologically nine is the, the Ouroboros. Nine is yes, the Ouroboros numerologically. Yes, it it eats itself. It's self-consumed. It's self-collapsing, self-negating. The essence of the hermit, the essence of sloth, the essence of indolence. It is so number nine to be. It's Belphegor. Number nine is Belphegor, man. It's nuts. Um, so yeah, this number yep, four whatever nine, five, you eight, add nine to. The, the result will be uh, like in reduction will be the same number. So like 15 in reduction, one plus five becomes a six. If you add 15 to nine, you get 24. Well, two plus four becomes a six. It's yeah, guaranteed ad infinitum. Nine adds nothing to what it adds to. It's, a, it's right. akin to a zero RO for us. And then it's on like, the multipl multiplication level, whatever you multiply by nine, gives you a result that reduces to nine no matter what so in a way it it like it, it's got this very bizarre quality to it i'll say now a brilliant comment from pk he could be just up here weaving with us i'm sure all day any day he he mentions that the 45 that this 495 uh becomes when the 11 is divided is uh adm alif dalat mem that's a hundred percent true. That's Adam. Right. <laughs> get right. get this, buddy. Get this. Four ninety five is the value of the Hebrew biblical phrase in Genesis two seven, dust of the ground, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Four ninety five. Adam forty five formed out of the dust of the ground. Four ninety five. <laughs> And breathed into his nostrils. What did he breathe into the nostrils of the man formed of the dust of the ground? The breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now, the other interesting thing is that 495 has a, a lot of a lot to do in Hebrew phrases with the law of the Lord. But and and even weirder, because in this scene, 
where the, the this is culminating, where the ninety like eleven to ninety nine is happening. We're talking like the dialogue is about the branching. The branching is overloading the temporal loom. Branching. Well, believe it or not, there's a Hebrew word. I didn't gather it because it had a lot of letters, <laughs> but there's a Hebrew word that equals four ninety five that refers to a place where things branch out or fork branch. The example given in the book I, I pulled this from is the butt, <laughs> the buttocks where the legs branch out from the torso. But man, it's like every different which way. And we just have 45 <laughs> watching on YouTube currently too. That's funny. But every oh which way you gosh. look at it, the four, like this 495 is showing up on all different dimensions of analysis here. Yeah. The, uh, the branch yeah. dialogue or the dust of the ground, the atom, et cetera, is all there. It's crazy. Cause yeah. they're going so, to the alpha and omega point, you know, they're going to the yes. creation. Yes. They're going, uh, they're going to the Arctic circle, actually, uh, the to Indus, they're going down to Indus. Notice the color of the motif here is going to be the world card. Uh, all peacock pavo, they're going into the plume. They're going into the feathers of the pavo constellation. They're going into Argus, this is the 100 eye all seeing uh, CIA Argus character with a uh, covered in eyeballs and then turned into a peacock because the peacock, every feather is an eyeball. So we're going into the all seeing eye of the plume of Pavo right now. And then 495 is D.I.E. also die. And then there's also like you this said, there's God. 45 in the right, five nine right? day God. Deus. Day, yep. And then uh, the fact that there's 45 in the chat is awesome because L-O-V-E in ordinal reduced spells 3645, which is how many days in a year there are, if you get all goofy with that half day in the middle, and code, C-O-D-E spells 3645. So love and code are the same numbers in ordinal reduced but if you don't reduce them, if you go back to their full value and you add love all the way up, it adds up to 45. So the love code is in this 45 gap that I call the Pythia. That is the gap where the conch shows us noise. This is the consciousness gap uh, where inspiration kicks off between feeling and thinking. It's a crucial point in the Enneagram. It's so cool that we're finding the this numerologically. Things branch out. Big time. Wow. Isn't Jesus referred to as the branch at one point too? I don't know. Probably. Probably. Well, let's keep going. It's one of my favorite slides of the whole thing though. I mean, damn. <laughs> That's nuts. That is so cool. We're not just seeing shit. It's there. It's all over the place. Okay. So, uh, the <laughs> and they're about to go through the doorway and then everything just goes completely black. They're at the uh, the Om, the Oikya, the abode of darkness to go that, you know, fix their electricity. Then we see the door. This is the door to the temporal loom. There's this dialogue on the floor. It's probably not going to be that easy to read on the video screen, but let me just read it. It says, danger, temporal radiation levels escalate exponentially beyond this threshold. Likelihood of spaghettification increases 7,000%. Proceed with caution. <laughs> I pointed out how there's uh, 
you know, some of the symbols for like danger, radiation have a very trefoil look to them. And I thought that this was an A here, but I think it might be like a triangle with an exclamation point, like attention, danger. Anyway, the 7,000 is what I want to focus on. Why 7,000%? Well, the number of years composing the cosmic week or the week of God, such as it is presented in the epistle of Barnabas, is 7,000 years. This cosmic week is divided into 4,000 for the Old Testament or the Father, 2,000 for the Son, the New Testament, and 1,000 to the Holy Spirit or the period of time of the creation of the new sky and the new earth. Oh, Dylan's got a link for us with Bacchus and the branch, Ivy branch. Brilliant. Rachel says we're all the branches on God's vine. Very 495. The chat is crushing right now. But back to this <laughs> epistle of Barnabas, in case you haven't heard of this one, it's a Greek um, epistle, not a gospel, written between, allegedly between 70 and 132 AD. It's part of the Codex Sin- Sinaiticus, where it is, it's chronologically, it would be right after the New Testament and then before a book called The Shepherd of Hermas, Hermes. There's also in an Ethiopian apocryphal book, which is called The Wisdom of the Sibyl, there's a question about the 10 cycles of Enoch in that, in that book. And the 10 cycles of Enoch each have 700 years for a total of 7,000 years. This is just a variation on the idea that I've talked about a bunch of times with the Nero's 600, 608, 650. Now it's 7,000. The days of the Lord are seven, told the Sibyl, which gives for a day a duration of a thousand years. So there's 7,000 years for the entire duration of the world before it's completely rebooted. And it's a new week and we're back to the first day. (laughs) Hopefully you guys can see that this epistle of Barnabas, this Ethiopian apocrypha with their 7,000 years, uh, (laughs) this day and week of God thing is the exact same as the Hindu temporal cosmology, the day of Brahm. Maybe they choose a slightly ver- different variation of numbers, whatever. But hmm. this is the reason this had to be apocrypha is because it, it, it tipped the hand. It showed the hand too much, but this, it, where they're going is the temporal loom. This is the thing that cycles time, like literally and weaves time together and it weaves the branches into one stream, one rope. So here, we have a 7,000. We, I think we should be thinking about the day of the day of Brahm or the week of the Lord, whatever. So I also threw in the spaghetti monster. We'll talk about that. Why is the spaghetti monster there? (laughs) Okay. First, if you've never heard of the flying spaghetti monster, let me introduce you to a new religion. The Flying Spaghetti Monster is the deity of what began as a parody religion and grew to become a so-called social movement. These adherents call themselves Pastafarians, (laughs) and they say that an invisible floating mass of spaghetti noodles with uh, eye stalks and two large meatballs in the center is the creator of the cosmos, Cosmo Creator. (laughs) The story is that a college... A physics graduate of Oregon State 
named Bobby Henderson sent a letter to the Kansas Board of Education, which was debating the inclusion of intelligent design theories in high school classes on evolution. So he was mad that they were sharing evolution and intelligent design alongside each other. The letter parodied the reasoning used to argue a scientific basis for intelligent design, stating that teaching about intelligent design must also include the alternative theory that the universe was created by a flying spaghetti monster. He received no response and he posted his letter on the internet. It attracted uh, viral attention. And now there's like a whole stupid atheist movement about it. (laughs) You know, look it up for yourself. But we're talking about spaghettification. We got to talk about the flying spaghetti monster. Now, wow. more important, though, is <laughs> Peter is asking, Peter Shell wants to know, is Disney using AI to write these shows? We know there's AI involved to some degree. That much has actually been admitted to. Like we talked a little bit about secret invasion. And uh, it's super obvious they used AI for the opening credits, like animation video. Super obvious. So I'm, there's probably some AI in this, too. I don't know about in the writing or not. But I wonder, because there's so much like weird internal consistency symbolically that almost would require some weird. (laughs) We'll get to that. I've got some thoughts. But I wanted to point out how now this is way more of a like hidden in plain sight occult thing. Let's look at these words. So the Latin word for space, spatium, or what we would call a span. Both in Latin and in English, the span or spatium can refer to space or time, a span of time or a span of distance. Now, black holes are said to be a distortion of space and time caused by extreme density. So black holes and and relativity theory and Einstein and all that is predicated on the idea that space and time are one fabric, one substance. Spatium carries the idea of time that's been in the mix. The Greek word horos means space, but it's the exact same as the word hours or horus. There's another space and time related. A templum, this is where your drills come in, Gabe. The templum, temp, temporum, temple, is an open space for augural observation. So it's a space. The templum is a space, but they're dealing with time in that space. So in terms of Einstein, he's in relatively relativity theory. He's just professing the ancient mystery tradition. There's nothing new, probably just an actor. (laughs) Like, I don't think it's real. Um, But this word from, for spaghetti spaga, a spaga is to stretch or it's a rope. And if you do the, if you allow the G and C interchange, spaga is the same word as space. (laughs) There's your string theory. It's right there in the word space, spaga, space. And I can't help, the last thing is I can't help but think about who was like the most brutal uh, enforcers of the Holy Roman Empire? Was it the Spanish? Did they have something to do with trying to control space and time? They definitely did quite a lot to uh, (laughs) commandeer the timeline of what the world thought its history was as they dominated the space of the Americas when they got there. Oh, let me get in on this. Let me get in yeah, on yeah, this. Let you, me get in on this. It. Let me get on this. Ooh, ooh, let me get comfortable. Hold on. Damn, buddy. Damn. What is the commonality between Athens and Jerusalem? 
Well, on a map between Athens and Jerusalem, you would end up landing in that span. You would end up landing on the island of uh, where the copper comes from. Is uh, uh, oh, it's the it's where all the copper came from. The island of Cap. Oh, dark on it, man. Mm. It's the island off the coast of Israel. It's the uh, it's pointing at Turkey. What's the name of that island? It's where the word copper comes from. Brass. It's where the word brass comes from. Okay, so this phrase, "What is common between Jerusalem and Athens?" is a is a riddle that lands you uh, at the fifty yard line. You end up on this island of Cap 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 Cap. Oh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Uh, which is a mining colony where Cyprus, they send kids. We've got coal Cyprus. Farms? That's it. Cyprus. Cyprus. Thank you. Cyprus is where copper comes from. It's where the word copper comes from. And it is conductive. So this uh, happy in between 50 yard line lands on the map on Cyprus, where all the kids for all the mining have to go and uh, extract the cipher, uh, copper. And that's a big cipher. But if you don't put the other end of that string in what we call Jerusalem, and instead you thread the string to Barcelona, which is another philological tie to Jerusalem, it's just an easy scramble, especially with the Spanish accent, you can make this scramble happen. If you know your accents, you see through this code very quickly. And Barcelona and Jerusalem have the exact same relationship, and it is the B. It is the B that gives you the switch. The Spanish B on the front of Jerusalem becomes Barcelona, and that is the B uh, that is so crucial because what was the name of the guy who you just said invented the spaghetti uh, secret society, the kid in his dorm? His initials were like, B.H. Yeah, something Henderson. I think this is black hole. This is black hand. This BH is a huge code for the blackmail industry to hide things. Oh, behind. Bobby Henderson. Okay. Black hole. This BH. is a B. Yes. So this is a, gosh, you really set this up huge. Okay. So the blackmail industry is hiding behind secrets and lies, uh, lies agreed upon. And if you don't agree upon them, then you're not in favor of the Roku's basilisk. That is the blackmail industry holding the, the Damocles sword over your head for the rest of your life. Uh, so that you can be in accolades. That BH is a huge linchpin. Uh, this shattered my fragility a long time ago that I found out that BH is a sign for human trafficking. It's actually hunting human beings that they call fox hunting uh, to, to, for those that are not in the know. This BH is a huge linchpin, black holes, um, and also Biden, Hunter, Bo and Hunter, all these people who know about the most dangerous game, they are hiding behind the BH. And so this is a linchpin of fragility to shatter people's paradigms. But I want to say this about the Jerusalem and the Barcelona and the span in between. When you take that thread and you actually span it between Athens and Barcelona, it lands on an entirely different set of paradigms. Uh, and in fact, what is common between Athens, philosophy, and Barcelona, faith? These are the two wings with which a man lists him, lifts himself up with. Right in between is Rome, morality, Rome, Italy, morality. This, uh, what I'm saying is the, uh, the lie 
that Jerusalem is to the east of philosophy, that lie was a lie agreed upon a long time ago. And they have hidden a great amount under uh, behind this lie that everybody, when they hear that, that question, what is common between Athens and Jerusalem, they go through the span, they do the equation, and they find out that it's copper from the island of Cyprus. But if you do the cipher different, you get another result that actually lands you on the same exact latitude, excuse me, longitude, same exact longitude as morality that is an anagram for Rome, Italy. So this span uh, cipher and lie agreed upon goes all the way back to the two wings with which man lifts himself up, reason and faith. And if you put your faith in this Jerusalem, you're not looking at the right map. If you put your faith over in Spain, Barcelona, as the motherland of the UCC Uniform Commercial Code that put us in this paradigm, uh, then you land on morality, Rome, Italy. That was fun. That was fun. Oh, uh, one more thing. Eat a lot of spaghetti there. State testicle. This is manipulating state testicle information. So there's your meatballs. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Uh, As much as there's things about what you just said that sparking off my brain, I'm going to keep us flowing. We're getting there. Getting there, guys. Okay. So we see the big red door, scary, ominous door. I noticed this black hole is on the door in the very center. And weirder still, I don't really know what to make of it, but there's this eye shine on the door. I feel like that's the light that's inside the abode of darkness. That's the Argentum Vivum. You know, that little glint of silvery light in the dark. Nice. Um, This is the point where I would, we'll talk about that idea of the abode or I'm sorry, the ring past not. It is a profoundly mystical and suggestive term signifying the circle or bounds of frontiers within which is contained the consciousness of those who are still under the sway of the delusion of separateness. This applies whether the ring be large or small. It's a general term applicable to any state in which an entity, having reached a certain stage of evolutionary growth of the unfolding of consciousness, finds itself unable to pass into a still higher state because of some delusion under which the consciousness is laboring, be that delusion mental or spiritual. So uh, Loki is going to go into this experience. And in this episode, he's going to pass, he's going to pass the ring past not. I know that that was like a very missed. This idea is kind of hard to unpack in language. The ring past not, <laughs> I feel like I have to be at a certain vibe uh, energetically. I'm a little tired right now to even access it. So we'll leave it for now. But this is the bound. This is like a, a consciousness idea. It's the it's a boundary that you can you can only get past once you have a certain level of integration of your inner and outer world. That as you the the more you recognize your inner world and outer world to be perfect mirrors of each other, the more expansive both worlds become. So like, you know, whenever you're feeling like the life is happening to you and restricted by external factors without any consciousness of the fact that that's actually all internal mechanisms going on, your internal world also is small. 
So like there's an expansion effect that occurs of how large your mental map is, how expansive your imagination is, what's the total potential of what you can hold to contain, express, experience, like on the inside and the outside, those things are correlate. And the, the basics of it is that the, the dilating of the ring, uh, tightening or, or widening has to do with how separate you feel from, from this, that, or the other thing. You know, the, the mind that knows that the other things are a part of it, you know, the mind that knows that the other minds are an aspect of its own self, it has, that's the coherent state. So it entrains the minds that are feeling separate. <laughs> it's the simplest nice. way. Well, I'm going to yeah. take us on from here, but. Okay. Let, okay. Me, let me throw a quick one on it. Let me throw a quick one on this. Uh, the iris of the eye is the pit of the abyss. And when you stare at the abyss of your fellow man, is it really staring you back? Yeah. Let me go back is to this. Really st- nice. Nice. The abyss. Yes. Yes. Is it really looking at you genuinely? And so this is something a I think Hebrew word for abyss. You were saying theum. It's the same. It's a, basically the same word as thea. Theo. God. Abyss. Yeah, man. Theum. Yes. So I think a, a Apollyon, part, another summarized God of the abyss. A, Apollyon. Yes. Yes, man. Yes. So I think a, another way to say the same thing you just said is when I show myself genuinely to my fellow man, am I being reflected back in their eyes with a true fidelity? Mm. Is Are their eyes showing a fidelity to the nature I just exposed? And if not, if I show my true self and they come back with some kind of projection that is not true to what I just revealed, then they are lost in nihilism because they're not being true eye to eye. They can't see me uh, with, with clarity. They have their, uh, they have a, uh, a facade, a, a gloss, or they're also drunk. They're also drunk on themselves Mm. that they can't see you clearly where you're coming from. And you can see that in the measure of another person. And now what's important about this buddy, the, what do they call it? Whenever you recognize something as a reflection of yourself, the apple of your eye, like your own child. Right. What? Right. Wait, wait. So, what's what's 111? It's uh, Aleph, Pei, Lamed. Apple. apple. Yes. Apple. Word that means darkness, yes. actually. The dark part of the eye. It, yep. And so one thing that's interesting is we just spent three years, everybody, kids to adults, not looking eye to eye. I can't look at you in the eye, Chance. I try to, but you're just a guy over here on the side. If I wanted to look you in the eye, I have to look at this weird thing in my screen. And now I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at my... So we're not looking eye to eye anymore. Nobody is. This is fostering autism in mass. It is really fucking alarming. It, it's fucking alarming. It's a goddamn tragedy where we are right now that I can't look you in the eye, my friend. At least so this is fostering- we have looked each other in the eye, though, in meat space, though. True, it really true. has happened. True, but what I'm saying is, for, what are we come do? visit, dude? Yeah, buddy, we are o- way overdue. But yeah, man, all right, let's do it. But the question is, what are we doing to our progeny? Are we teaching our testicles not to look eye to eye? Are the babies that come out of this generation in these next few years, are they all being altered by our behavior that we don't see eye to eye? And will the next few generations be uh, have the appearance or laying a cloud, a fog of a camouflage for the autistic 
NPC race to come marching through under the flag of Scientology. All right, there we go. That is the true army of nihilism. So I keep telling people, look each other in the eye as much as you can. Get some. Sherry, thank you for mentioning. You can donate to Slick Dissident at Cash App with the dollar sign Slick Dissident. This is where Gabe excels, Dylan says. Indeed. If you like the three hours we've been dishing out for free, be like Rachel in Super Chat or send Gabe a Cash App donation. There's, there's really no reason not to. I mean, we're just, we're just giving it all to you. These are secrets that took years to discover for us. This is not like just a walk in the park picnic. We're literally crushing it right now. So drop us some, drop us some support people. Thank you. All right. All right. So they, first of all, this dark, darkened door, as soon as it opens, even just a crack, it's just like pure light. So this is the light in the dark the, and it's even silvery looking. It's the Argentum Vivum 111. Right. Okay. Right. And, and it also opens, it opens like a Kofesh in an interesting way. But I uh, think of L.C. King's thing about coming up to the terminus, coming up to the terminal in that terminus constellation there. Uh, but then also, I think the Tropic of Camper, Capricorn needs to be mentioned because we're going into the extreme south. And everybody said all the whatever. I know that triggers shape, makes people. Uh, well, no, wiggly. dude, it's really <laughs> wild that you said it, it opens in the shape of a Kofesh because. I was seeing the book and the sword in Loki's hand. And yeah, so we get like man. a double sword. If this time stick wasn't sword enough for you, then the shape of the door opening in the Kofesh could be. There it is. There it is again. Yep. And that Cause Loki yeah, is the so Logi. Yeah. He's the logos, the word and the sword. He's got the book of the TVA, the book of the Tav, the book of the cross. Yes. I and mean, it's pretty so apparent. I'll- so all the characters here are Southern Constellation characters. Um, Loki is kind of right now, this is just not constantly, but right now in general, I think Loki is much like uh, Scorpion Sag. Uh, uh, Morbius is much like the uh, Aquarius card because he's got the jug of Gnosis. Uh, I think that B-15 is kind of playing Capricorn because she's the devil card, has a strong Capricorn relationship also in the South. And then uh, our guy, Oros Boros, I think he's the Indus, which is the most extreme of all anthropomorphized uh, constellations. He is like Hestia alone, maintaining the hearth in the basement of the house, you could say. Okay, here's a fun one. They come in. What are they doing here? Why are they coming into the uh, temporal loom? They got a Tikan Olam. They got to repair the world. Tikan Olam. And why? This is the temporal loom, the heart of the TVA. Uh, uh, what I want to talk about here is I think that Olam is another example of this correlation between space and time because Olam is world and it's eternity. The idea is that the world conceals God within it. But what I think is lost is the ancient doctrine that held that the world was actually the body God created for itself. You know, the God in or under in or under the earth in Hebrew, Adam is said to mean earth or red earth kind of implied to mean dirt, but it actually 
might mean Earth as in the entire Earth, the whole world. There's reasons I think this. In Ethiopian, Adama means beautiful, elegant, or pleasant. Uh, another definition would be beauty derived from order. Well, guess what? Cosmos, the Greek word cosmos, means the exact same thing as Adama in Ethiopic. It's beauty derived from order. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> now, cosmeo as a verb is to make beautiful, to decorate, to dress, to trim, to put in order, to be adorned, decorated, or beautifully dressed. Well, let's talk about mundus. The, world, the word mundus or munditia in Latin, it's elegant, adorned, clean, neat, tidy, all in order, <laughs> adorned, in order. Mundi is world in Latin. <clears throat> if you change the M to W and the N to R, mund becomes word. <laughs> the mund is also philologically the mount, the D switching to T, the sacred world mountain. In uh, the Sanskrit books, there's a version of the Genesis story where the first two persons are Adin and Eva. Adin and Eva. So I'd Adin, I mean, just change the A to an E. You got Eden. Adam is Eden. It's the primordial world or primordial word. God spoke the world into existence with a word. That word was Adama or Adam or Eden. The... The Saturn was called Adonis. He's the first. He's the son of heaven and earth. Adam became Adon because the Greeks had no words terminating with M. I mean, it goes on and on, but like, it, uh, this is one of the, uh, I don't know. I think that this philosophically feels good. I actually like the idea that the everything everywhere all at once is the body of God. I'm, I'm into that, but anyway, World and eternity yeah. both mean, are both olam, something to that. And here they are yeah. at the heart of the world, the heart of the, the, the crossroads, <laughs> the heart of the Tav, the TVA, time, where time is in its most pure essence. And it's, uh, yeah, it's got to be repaired. <laughs> Tikkun olam. Man. So this is so wild. This is going to be... Oh, I'm kind of, I'm in two worlds where like I've I crack codes sometimes that I think might actually get me in trouble. You know what I mean? <laughs> like sometimes I'm like, yeah, revealing like we're going like to repair call, things like, like think oh, about how how much in the Hebrew of the old or how much in the Old Testament they call everything is God, Lord, Lord, God. But they use words in the actual Hebrew like Elohim, plural yeah. or Adonai. They're calling God Adonis, Adonai. It's yeah. ridiculous. And, and even a, it's I even feel like a lady they, yeah, too. the whole but, translation but, is to conceal what was really being like the antiquity of the and the connections yeah. to other mythologies. Right. And, you know, there are there are real uh, popular religions out there that are like uh, convinced it's a, a man in their their exact opposition. Their exact enemy, spiritual enemy is like ah, psych. She's actually secretly a woman. Uh, so there's even argument notation over that, which is silliness. But I'm going to reveal something again. Everybody has homework to go check out what Tr Sam Tripoli put out most recently. I'm going to reveal this. I have to. Can you make me big chance? This Tikkun Olam is wow. Look at those blue eyes. Damn. Look at those blue eyes. <laughs> All right. 
Shkin Olom, whatever that is, it has a lot of weight hiding out in Rudyard Kipling's hidden poetry. He has poetry that is uh, not for the public. And presidents have been commenting on what a wonderful, fabulous poem this is. And when you get into the true nature of what he was getting at, it's appalling. It's appalling. Everybody should go look up what this really means. The the poem, The Burden of Jerusalem. And don't settle for the first wave. They're going to try to throw you a curveball with white man's burden. That is not what this is about. This is an anagram that comes out of the name of that poem. And I'm not going to say anything other than that. I'm going to talk around the signs and symbols in hopes that we might get one through the radar, because I think this poem is a prophecy that foretells a certain character who is foretold, who is promised to come and fulfill this position. Maybe a number six. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm just going to leave this alone. But that is an anagram that comes out of that poem that is so fucking contentious. Go watch Sam Tripoli right now, everybody. <laughs> no, not right now. We're busy here. No, not right now. Not right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to, Gabe, I'm going to try to go at a pretty quick clip from here on out because getting late. <laughs> We're okay. Long, so. long in the Dante. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be trying to. Uh, Pay attention to if you're jumping up and down, flipping out, then I'll know to, but you know, we don't have that delay anymore. So you can just cut in. All right. So here we go. We see the hidden sun, soul, S-O-L, Latin equals 40 here of the TVA secret sun. But there's this word. It's Chet Bet Lamed that equals 40. Chebel or Chebel. As a verb, it means to twist or to wind together, to bind, to pledge, to pervert, but it, to act corruptly, to sin, to wound. Very interesting that it means to wound or to wind. Wound, W-O-U-N-D, and wound, as in like you're winding something up, you wound it up, and you've been wounded. It's the same, like, weirdly, there's a homophone homophone there in English and in Hebrew with a completely different word in the Hebrew. <laughs> so basically it's twisting, it's winding together, but it's also to hurt something or to corrupt something or to, I'm thinking Chebel best remember this by an Indian burn, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they twist your arm up and it hurts, it wounds you. Uh, now as a noun, Chebel is a cord or a rope, but also pain or sorrow, a measuring line, a snare. So it's interesting because you see here in the background, the uh, the threads of time are being twisted. Strings, the spaga, are becoming this rope, J-Bell, 40. Totally reinforces all the spaga string theories of this spaghetti episode. But the uh, the loom is acting <laughs> corruptly, J-Bell, as it tries to wind and twist, J-Bell, <laughs> the threads of time into a rope, J-Bell. <laughs> You know, like how many ways can this scene demonstrate this word that equals 40? It's like a bunch of different ways. It's interesting. And uh, I got something. I got okay. something. He, uh, he is the, uh, oh, it's the a cable. card now. Oh, yeah. It's a cable. J Bell. K Bell. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, he is a tight. He is the, the Magi card now. He is Nietzsche's tightrope walker. 
And the tightrope walker in that Magi card is walking on a, on a, he's fun ambulating on a tight cable, uh, which was this ceremonially done. Yes. 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 And that was ceremonially done when that tightrope walker walked between the twin towers. He was doing a Nietzschean ritual. Um, so yeah, the tie, the cable of the Kaibel of the Kabbalah of it all is threading a tentative connection between uh, these uh, temples. That's a power we. And Obi is talking about how what's going on with this temporal loom and its corruption is a disaster. Well, now we're back to it's a one eleven because Aleph Semek Nun ASN is a uh, ruin or destruction. Or Aleph yeah, Pei Lamed is another 111, darkness or misfortune, disaster. Both nice. of these ideas are laid up in the disaster, disaster, yes. bad star or God star. Or this is one of my artifacts on my seashore. This is, dis means hidden, a sea star, a star, <laughs> a, a sea star. Uh, what is that? Uh, yeah, a starfish. That's it. The starfish. This <laughs> is hidden. Sea star is a starfish. Okay. So, uh, Mobius says to Ouroboros, you don't get down here much. And OB says, I didn't have to. The AI, Miss Minutes, took care of everything. I just ran diagnostics every few hundred years. Well, when we're talking about disasters, I kind of wonder. AI is created by code. It's not even really AI in the sense that people imagine. It's a big algorithm of codes. But it has the illusion or it simulates kind of like a mind, the way you can interact with it. But it's a code. It's generated by a code written by people. But you got to ask yourself, what happens when AI begins doing the coding for us, coding other algorithms, coding software, coding the internet, etc.? Well, it's already happening. It's already happening. And the next question then is what happens when people no longer know how to code because AI does all the coding? And then they no longer know how AI actually works under the hood, but yet it's still running things in society. I mean, in a simulation theory sense, it could be, I mean, like in a divine, not like a computer simulation, but like, what if the divine, the word is a code uh, operating, you know, a code of words and numbers like we're revealing throughout this episode that created a system to run its own dream, but then in the midst of the dream, the divine has forgotten the code of how that system operates. You know what I mean? Like a spiritual simulation theory. I honestly, I wonder, <laughs> I don't th like, I don't think that that means that things are bad or fake or like a prison. But uh, if your, if your mind, your pneuma, your divine spirit is the same as the imagination or the self of the I am, and you don't know this code of how things operate through letters and numbers, then uh, it's then what I just said is true, at least for you or for me. I'm personally, I'm trying to remember how to code. <laughs> That's what this, I'm just sharing it with you, but like this, is what I'm about, I'm just trying to remember how to code. I know PK is picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah, buddy, totally picking it up. So OB then says, uh, we got to prune all these extra branches or the thing's going to explode. That when they say pruning extra branches and then B-15 says that means the death of countless people. We can't do that. This is all a metaphor for population reduction because you <laughs> certain a certain group of people think that 
the way to repair the world, Tikkun Olam, is to prune those branches. Population reduction. So that's not going to work for these people or the good guys. So OB is going to try to retrofit the loom to fit all these extra branches. Um, but that means that it's now or never to fix Loki's time slipping with Ouroboros' temporal aura extractor. <laughs> this is the part where Mobius writes skin in, on the dust. You know, where does dust come from? It comes from skin. Like the mo- majority of the dust is like sloughed off, sloughed off skin cells. Interesting enough. Uh, back to this appeal or apple or apple in Spanish. The word for skin is la peel peel <laughs> in Latin wow. skin uh, is palace. Very interesting. It's close. How close it is to the word palace, which is pool, pulas, a gate. It's also wisdom. It's the head in a way. The skin is like the top of top layer of your body. It's the head. Uh, the skin is the gate to the interior of the body. Very interesting. And remember all that, um, all this talk about skin getting peeled off. <laughs> and the, there's a, there's a match there numerologically. We'll see it again in a second. Um, so I got, I got, I got okay. something on that, on that image. He is exactly in the position of the number seven. This is the shape of the corner of the computer is the shape of the R Altair constellation, which again, if you flip it back and forth, it makes an Enneagram. He is in the position of the number seven. If this was an Enneagram, he's in his spot that he should be. He's enthroned exactly where the enthusiast is. Uh, And one of my theories about the Enneagram, Chance, you're going to love this, man. The word hormones comes from the mother of the muses, Hermione. Our boy Robert Sapolsky wants all causality in the universe to thread through your hormones. Well, little does he know that that is the mother of the nine muses who are also the Enneagram. And the Enneagram is the endocrine system. So he wants you to externalize your causality using words that are the matriarch and the daughters of the mother of the muses and the nine muses that compose the, the Enneagram of the endocrine system of your internal world. He wants you to externalize that and put all causality outside of you. I'm telling you, his language fits in my work and it goes into you and it does not go to the Big Bang. So you take Robert Sapolsky's work and you run it through the slick dissident and it threads into your internal experience. Number seven, Socrates, the uh, Calliope, the mother of all the, or the eldest of the muses, oldest sister, most experienced, like Socrates, number seven, is exactly in this position. And I think she is the skin. I think she represents the skin of all the endocrine system. I think she's the skin because the skin is the largest of all your organs. It is the most gluttonous. It is the, the most... Uh, Uh, the most significant of it all. And it is also an echo of your placenta. It's an echo. It's a topographical uh, ripple, an imprint, an emanation of the placenta. All of this is signified by the number seven. So I just had to go hard on Robert Sapolsky's pulling your causality outside and slick dissident with the Enneagram is pulling it inside. And your entire endocrine system of your internal experience is uh, also signified by the muses of your temp- of your uh, library of Alexandria, 
Uh, and number seven is right there with the skin. Okay. So uh, let's see. Where am I at? Okay. OB is now explaining how the temporal aura extractor is supposed to work. It's all, he's explaining it again. It's all about the timing. He says, if you're too late, you will be lost to time forever. And Mobius will lose all of his skin. (laughs) So basically, you know, this is the, the dove on the wheel is being referenced again. He's holding up a, a nice wheel as he talks about it. The, uh, the stakes get higher. As he says, you've got about five minutes and the glass in the window is cracking. Everything's about to, be destroyed. Then we get a, a random TVA footy coming in and he says, Doc's his Doc's crew is raiding the armory. So Loki wants to go after general Doc's to save Sylvie from that TVA faction, but Mobius won't let him go because they only have one shot to fix Loki's time slipping. B 15 then volunteers to go stop Doc's. We'll be dealing with the, that whole scenario in the next episode. <laughs> then Loki spaghetti's out and vanishes once more. As he's saying, once I use this thing, I might not make it back. He has to have the time stick in order to prune himself to self prune, to crucify himself, self-sacrifice. Uh, it's like Odin stabbing himself in the side of the spear, right? But he vanishes, leaving Mobius holding the pruning stick. Now, this is maybe one of the first times you not, you'll notice that the pruning stick, the the dangerous end of the pruning stick is a six around one. So I don't know, but like, where do we see a symbol of six around one? And maybe there's a correlated correlated idea of population reduction to heal the world. You you tell me. <laughs> I'm not this saying it. Also- well, also, it's also, well, it's not Russian roulette if there's all the bullets are in the chamber, but there's <laughs> definitely some six-shooter implication there. Yeah. Uh, this this moment, yeah, Chance, this moment was so uh, significant. I know we're in a hurry. Uh, I, I've got to put a pin in this because it's going to come up later in the arc. So I'm kind of, I got to go forward to go back and I got to be quick because I know we're, God, we're running so slow. But this moment when he says, I know you'll make it back. I know you'll make it back. And he's like, I might not make it back. They say make it back like four times. So that becomes like a mission control mantra that I think has a lot of programming uh, because this is where things get meta. Uh, But can you bring up the most recent image? And this image is actually for future episodes. So uh, spoiler alert. But I have to see this idea because it keeps coming around, guys. I was ignoring it actively. I was like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't even, this, it, it just seems, but it keeps, uh, it's so inundated in this handoff with the baton. It just totally consummates. Can you focus on the bottom, the bottom half? Uh, Cause the top half is, will come up again later. This is the lame duck presidency clause. And I know uh, this is so crazy, but. What it, the lame duck presidency clause is about the handoff of the presidential, uh, you know, some people call it the presidential football and they, and it's materialistically uh, symbolic by what they call the nuclear football. But the nuclear football is like the mantle of the presidency. And in that handoff, there's a lot of uh, policy and procedure vulnerability in the, uh, in the system. So when he hands off the baton to uh, Mobius, remember, the opening scene was a racetrack. 
So the relay race of Mobius running behind him and uh, 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 Loki is in the front. This baton is actually consummating the relay race from the very beginning opening scene. So this relay and the passing of the baton in the lame duck presidency uh, clause, I have seen it 15 times up until now, and I'm just now mentioning it. So I'm not defining future outcomes, but I think that they've been getting us ready to be just out of our mind when the lame duck presidency clause comes into effect here in the next year. They have been preceding it a thousand ways, and it's a whole episode in itself. Just take my word for it. This handoff of the baton is all about a lame duck presidency, and uh, we'll expand on that in future episodes. Interesting. Handing off a baton. Didn't even think about it that way, symbolically. Passing him the baton. And <clears throat> yeah, and in, in, in truth, we find out like this is just a drill. <laughs> like Mo- Loki is supposed to be the one to have this baton in terms of what symbolically the baton of what leg of the race Mobius is about to run going off into the, the temporal winds. Yes. And then, God, it's so huge. Everything, everything is so huge. There's more behind all this, but the last time that the nuclear football got passed around, uh, Biden was going North and Trump was going South. And while everybody's watching these nuclear footballs going in two, two footballs going in two directions. Um, that was the day that, a uh, strange dead internet came to life out of Plantation, Florida, where all of your social security numbers are hiding out in databases. Some strange like uh, zombie alarm uh, went through the zeitgeist and tons of your old data was reanimated while everybody's watching the footballs going two, di- two directions. The dead internet was woke up, woke up out of planta- uh, Plantation, Florida which is under the table of the Tennessee uh, uh, Magi card. It's under his table, literally, where uh, all those zombies came to life on the last handoff. That was a drill. So whatever is going to come around the next time, we should be looking back to what came out of Plantation, Plantation, Florida with the last handoff. All right. God, I remember what you're talking about, but now I'm like... (laughs) I'm getting just, you're distracting me, man. Like I want to go re re up my knowledge on that whole data breach. It was a data breach of sorts. I'm, I'm not sure old accounts and passwords and email combinations and things. That's like the, that's the waking up of the dead, so to speak. It's straw men were brought back to life. Yes, this is dormant internet space, dead internet theory. And now go look up what the meaning of a slogan is. It's a it's a battle cry of the dead. And it's I think they were trying to be biblical. uh, But I think it was a I think it was a beta testing for when they do go biblical. Uh, I think, you know, they'll probably go big on the next. Damn. (laughs) Slogan. Who has slogans? Corporations. Battle cry of the dead, corpseration. Makes sense. The first the first slogan of the country was uh Tyler Two and Tippecanoe, which is a hail back to Tent Squadawa's curse, the 20-year curse on the presidents. So uh yeah, something's going down, y'all. Something's going down. That 20-year curse, it's uh number 12 on the lunar standstills. It's a full breastplate of the ephod. Prophecy time, y'all. It's prophecy time. <laughs> okay, so. Loki spaghettified, he vanished out, he wakes up, or he appears back in the same place, but now he's slipped into the future instead of the past, demonstrated by the skin is fainter, but it's still written in the dust, 
on the side of that altar, our altar. <laughs> then we cut back over to the present where we've got Mobius getting suited up in his covering slash veil, which is Mim Samek Vav Hey 111, a covering or a veil. I think this is referring to the the meat suit as the veil of God or the earth as a covering of God, something like that. Uh, it's cracked for him. Very funny scene here. He gets duct taped. You're good. Uh, then 33 minutes, zero seconds of the episode screenshot and you'll get very old and all your skin will get peeled away and you will die. <laughs> if you don't, if you're not fast enough when you go out there uh, to do this temporal aura extraction. So there's our uh, Gimel, Zion, Lamed equals 40 to cut off or to skin or to flay. This is that moment, uh, the skinning and the flaying, skinning the apple. Now he goes out past the, the airlock and he's completely in the Exminos Oros, the wind from the gods reminding everyone about all these words for wind and spirit that correspond to each other. Aura, Numa, Psyche, spirit, Holy ghost, Holy gust, Ruach, etc. And notice on his suit too, how they often show when the TVA logo is on something that TV is separate in its color scale from Aleph or the a so TV a TV Aleph is this kind of a wink that the TV extracts our temporal auras or imbues our psyche with the winds of the flaming, <laughs> the priests. Wow. But, you know, I got to wonder, I got to wonder because our psyche definitely gets some sort of some, something from on high added to it when, you know, we're getting the TV program. I feel like there's a, I mean, we, we don't bring it up often enough, but I feel like the TVA is for sure meant to be relating to the idea of the, and the technology of TV. <laughs> the flame and the windbags are definitely running that whole industry. <laughs> A lot of the six around ones as well. So he's on his way uh, to the singularity and we see the strings or the spaga He's getting to the black hole up ahead, metaphorically. Now, Loki is running around in the further future where the TVA hive is rushing about to evacuate as the temporal meltdown is imminent sometime, undefined amount of time in the future. I happen to notice like he's running past this chair and the chair is on its side. And there it is. There's the A rune, the Aleph. Just right there in the chair. So, I mean, I was already positive we're meant to be thinking about the Aleph, but that was a, to me, like a nice little symbolic gesture. Thanks, guys, for confirming my thoughts about this episode. Then, while he's running around, there's a, a voice on the PA repeating TVA code 1127, emergency, evacuate, etc. Uh, two plus seven is nine. So it's sort of like code 11-9. Call 911. It's the disaster moment. Chance, it's Y2K in reverse. Y is a 7, 2 
K is 11. It's Y2K in reverse, which is totally the 911 encode just packed out the other way. Wow. Nice catch. Wow. Very nice. That's fucking Y2K. Uh, yeah. Y2K uh, started on the uh, uh, SS York, Yorkshire, Yorktown, SS Yorktown. Uh, there was a zero in the program that actually shut down uh, um, an aircraft carrier. And that was the birth. That was the egg. That was the seed that was planted because a zero slipped into the code. It shut down an aircraft carrier. So that was actually a founded claim. It wasn't just bullshit. And it was also encoding 9-11. Nice call. I gave a speech on that uh, on that aircraft carrier at the optimist club and what is the symbol of the optimist club it's the x and the i i actually no uh, got second i got second uh second place uh in that in that speech uh so now you know why i'm such a windbag <laughs> cool yeah yeah without you though how would we get four hour shows we gotta have you like why do you think well once i met you i'm just like be on my channel all the time. Endless content. Infinite wind. Big time. Love you, buddy. Okay, so we see uh, back to Mobius. His suit is degrading in the time wind. This is akin to the idea that the ancients held that calamities were carried on the wind, especially pestilence or plague. This is a big, big idea in the ancient world. Also, the device that Mobius is using, it, I don't have a good shot of it here, but it basically shoots like a harpoon, a rope or a cord into the time stream. So there we are back in the idea of the, the cord and the rope big time. <laughs> He's harpooning it. Interesting. He's got to pierce the singularity with a, a shot, you know, like this is the, the pole in the hole. Anybody? This is the sexual act, guys. He's piercing the the hole, <laughs> big like big big marriage of Cupid and Psyche moment, and we'll see what I'm talking about in just a moment. Now back to Loki, his little indicator turns green, which means it Mobius has shot his shot, and now it's time to self prune, time to crucify yourself, time to have the little death, the orgasm moment. French call orgasm a little death. But I noticed, like, this is one of those moments where there's a bunch of clear allusions to the Matrix as well. Because what happened, like, this is him uh, dying to the world so he can be reborn in a higher world, right? Literally, like, from from this moment, he has, he's get, he gets his mojo back. He's got, like, powers he didn't have before later in the series, et cetera. But the phone rings, the phone rings in this moment of the... The transformation. It's just like the Matrix. When they are going to exit the Matrix, they go to a phone, they pick up the phone, and then they get and they get all glowy and disintegrate. <laughs> and it's remarkably similar. There's other moments with almost like a beat for beat type of match to the Matrix. Uh, on the other side, Mobius is being told by Ouroboros. That you're out of time. He starts counting down from five times running out. But when he gets to three, he says three, three times. So he's like five, four, three, three, three. (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> and they're, they're having a dark moment because they think Loki's not going to make it. 333, there's a correspondence in Hebrew gematria to darkness with 333. <laughs> so go figure. Very nice. But, also, also, I think uh, 333, all triple digit numbers divided by 37 uh, uh, collapse to either a 3, 6, or a 9. 37 is, that's why it's sacred because it, uh, re- it relates to all triple digit numbers and they always will have a reduction to like 12 becomes a three, 15 becomes a six or whatever. So yeah, there's Thanks another thing with triple nugget. digit numbers. Yeah. 37 is the key to triple digit numbers uh, and it reduces them into a three, six, nine matrix. It's so profound math. Uh, do, can I go on to the harpoon? Uh, did yeah, you sure. want to get into the harpoon? Yeah, I brought. I sent one to you in the uh, telly. This word harpoon is is crucial, and I. Yeah, it's like a whole episode in itself again. <laughs> but the harpoon comes into the Meno dialogues in uh, Plato's Republic at a very crucial point. This is where uh, Socrates is able to stun his uh, his interlocutor, the the guy he's de- kind of debating. And when he stuns him, he uses an interesting word. Will you go to the top right and kind of zoom in? This Meno dialogue says, you seem in, yeah, you seem in appearance and in every way to be like a, torpe- a torpedo fish. Uh, for it, it too, too makes, oh, for it, for it too you, makes yes. anyone who too. comes close and touches it feel numb. I have no answer That's to it. give you, yet I have made many speeches about virtue before large audiences on a thousand occasions. Very good speeches, as I thought. But now I cannot even say what virtue is. Socrates, nice. yes. I am more perplexed than anyone when I cause perplexity in others. Interesting. Yes. So this this word perplexity relates to the torpedo fish and uh, a kind of harpooning or... Uh, stunning a person, locking them in place so that they don't know whether they're coming or going. And what's fascinating, long story short, this is the initiation, the beginning of uh, the ABCs of Capueta. And the name that we the name that we give to the movement is the tale of the stingray. We name the Capueta kick of the ABCs for beginners to initiate you. You you lock in place, your feet stay in place. And then the first person does the tail of the stingray kick while you're locked in place. And that's a call. And the answer is to do the tail of the stingray back to them as the response. And this is like, Jinx, you owe me a Coke. And then they say your name two times and you're freed up again and you're no longer stuck. And so this playfulness is instilled into martial arts. I bet fencing is even more obvious that Plato's Republic is encoded into martial strategy. And then also reduced into dancing, fighting uh, martial arts and ritualized in the songs and the names of the moves. So this one hits home right to my heart. This is actually why I'm wearing the shirt I'm wearing tonight. Uh, But sure enough, this is also the symbol Four, can you get the rest of the picture in here? By the way, the planetary nebula of the Stingray is in the Ara Altair constellation. Therefore, Stephen Irwin was totally a sacrifice on the on the altar. Whatever that spell is, you look into the narrative around him and they're doubles, they're putting you in double binds all the time. They're like, oh, we 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 threw away the footage. 
but the footage is still here. Like if you read the Steve Irwin story, they're just telling you it's hot, it's cold, it's cold, it's hot. The whole story down, they're putting you in double binds. And then trim panning is another word for drilling into the skull. Uh, and that word also relates to the tarpooning fish uh, that is the uh, the natural bore that bores holes into a being. All of these things are in our Altair constellation that is in the world card uh, that, you know, that's what she's focusing on. What she's holding in her hands that is like uh, going down that column. That column is either the telescope or the microscope. It's probably interchangeable, micro to macro. And this is a huge reveal. And then also, I got to say, Office of Strategic Sir Vice, Sir Vices, the vice locks you in place. Very strategic of them to use the word vice in the name of their office. Now go watch Sam Tripoli and find out what Alan Dulles did when he pulled out uh, some hidden archives. You guys are in for it when you get to Sam's show. Man, yeah, you have to link me that one. <laughs> okay, you've sold it. You've sold it. Yeah, buddy. I right, usually bro. listen to that one. Okay, so this is the moment of truth, all right? Loki has only literally like a second left on his countdown to being lost in time. And at the last possible moment, he finds the ringing phone and it's next to an elevator. The elevator opens. Elevator indicating the idea of ascending. Ayin Vav Lamed Hey can mean ascending. It can also mean a holocaust or a burnt offering. He sees Sylvie and he gets pruned. It looks like she's the one that pruned him. But <laughs> you can see actually the six around one is coming from behind him. So who is it that hit him with the time stick from behind? It's a mystery for a future episode. Uh, spoiler alert, it's himself. <laughs> <laughs> he prunes himself. So this is Loki sacrificing himself. It's Odin hanging himself on the tree, sacrificing himself. This back, I'm going to read from Nimrod again. We read in Pindar of the venereal bird, Eynx or Jinx bound to the wheel and of the pretended punishment of Ixion. But this rotation was really no punishment being as Pindar saith voluntary and prepared by himself and for himself. Or if it was, it was appointed in derision of his false pretensions, whereby he gave himself out as the crucified spirit of the world. So, Loki is the phoenix because he's going to be burned away and then reborn, like in this exact moment. The phoenix burning itself. He's, it's a symbol of the sun. It's a symbol of tra transmigration of the soul. The time jumps are the transmigration of the soul. The great Godfrey Higgins has a little bit to say about this stuff. He says, I apprehend the palm tree or the phoenix tree was the sacred tree the tree of wisdom for another reason for from the use of its leaves for the purpose of writing. It had the name the Aum tree or the Om tree tree of the Om. The Phoenix was the Om, the cycle of 600. It was the ornament of the holiest, the Holy of Holies of the Jewish temple of the Ion Tan Ionan, the eternally renovating cycle which was one of his names in ancient Egypt. Fina meant cyclus periodus avum. 
So Loki, he's the god of cycles, the phoenix. He keeps being reborn in different ages. <laughs> the phoenix, going back to Higgins, as I have shown, was identified with the cycle of 600 or 608 in Ireland or with the sun or ethereal fluid or the still higher principle. Here, perhaps, we may find the origin of the mystical idea of some of the early Christians that Jesus Christ was crucified in the heavens. And it may lead us to a suspicion, recondite and mystical enough, I grant, in this mystical history, as to what the phoenix really was. It was a portion of the generative principle, the divine love, the eros, which first moved on the waters, and which, in the form of a dove, was incarnated every 600 or 608 years when the sun and moon became in conjunction and a new seculum arose. Eros, we learn from the Orphic Argonaut, had the name of Phanes, that is, Fen, or the Phoenix, which has the meaning of 608. By the way, Fen is Pan, same word. Fen is the same as the Greek Phaino to shine, and Phanos, a torch, and Phani, the orgies of Bacchus. So here we see, there's also a Bacchus dove, by the way. And just what happens after he's burned away like the Phoenix, he's reborn in the sky. He's up in the air, falling. Jesus Christ crucified in the heavens. So we fool... (laughs) Full circle. <laughs> we began with him falling off the cliff at the beginning of the episode, and now he's to get away from Mobius, and now he's falling back to Mobius, descending from heaven in the divine wind. He's the spirit. He's the dove. This is the moment of salvation. This is the phoenix. <laughs> this is the phoenix moment. I mean, proof of the whole mystic, the whole damn mystical thing. Pretty amazing. Yeah, man. I wonder how many times the phone rang. It would be interesting if it, uh, if it was nine times because Phoenix has the word phone IX in it. Oh, so yeah, the phone rings. I, how did I miss that? The phone rings. The phone the is phone ringing. X. Time to be a Phoenix. Yeah. My God, how did I miss that? Exit. Of course that's why the phone. Of course the that's why there's a phone. Jesus. It's a phone Exit. It's a phone exit. And this is the phone X. We're the we are the Phoenicians. Next, next riddle, dude. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. You know, like that's that the great? amazing thing is you might get all these details right, and then there's the one that's hiding right under your nose, the phone. And Phoenix is the same word. Duh. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you. This is why we got to yeah. tag team this shit. Well done. Nice. Yeah, buddy. Yes. I wonder I wonder if they did the same thing in uh Matrix now too. Like you go back to Matrix and what if it was IX amount of times? And then uh I just had some fun with this one because I reviewed our last episode we did on this card and chance uh pull up the next one I put out there. <laughs> I know you kind of saw this already, but it's kind of fun because there is somebody wearing well, there's a birthday suit and a uh, protective layer. Uh, encoded <laughs> slip on a banana peel is such a sophisticated inside joke. <laughs> this is so French. It's nuts to slip on a banana peel is to put on a condom. And now all those times we made that joke about like, Oh, I accidentally, I accidentally you know, she, this person accidentally cheated. Oh, they must have slipped on a banana peel and fell on so-and-so. 
but he's no, got kind of like what? the fool's even got kind of banana boots on. He slipped on he's banana peels on condom. his feet. It's a condom. Slipping on a banana peel is a metaphor for putting on a condom. And so if you're going to accidentally have sex with somebody, you better have protection. So the double entendre is so I think it's been lost. I think we just resurrected the triple entendre of slipping on the true banana peel. Congratulations. You're all initiated. (laughs) Yes, you're all just one phone ring away from enlightenment. (laughs) So watch out. Watch out for it. Okay. From this point, I'm pretty much done with the weaving. You know, the episode ends. Loki has resurrected. He needs to find Sylvie. If we see the army of general docs going off to also look for Sylvie. And then we see that Sylvie has come on to a branch timeline in Broxton, Oklahoma. One sec. I'm just going to finish it off. And uh, she winds up in a McDonald's. There's a tree of life behind her. And uh, she decides to order everything. She wants to try everything. We'll talk about the McDonald's. We just got to leave the McDonald's completely. Because it's, we have plenty to talk. We'll have plenty of time to talk about why McDonald's, why 1982, why Broxton, Oklahoma. Uh, next time, next time we do a big Marvel yeah, demystification. So can you go back one more image before this? No, I guess two more. One more after that. There. Tackle them. He tackle them. And everything's better now. Tikunolom. Tikunolom. Oh, he tackles him, and now the time slipping has been solved. And he doesn't even take any time to be like, oh, I feel better. He's instantly on a mission onto the next thing. And this is, he's got to save the world again. He just got done to Kunolom, and now he's got to go to Kunolom again. And so how many times did Kunolom happen for you every day? So, yeah, saving the world is a fascinating mind spell. And it's important that when we do save the world, we take a second to appreciate our accomplishments, and we don't go save the world again tomorrow right away. Maybe revel in your accomplishment. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I think we saved the world in three hours and 52 minutes, buddy. Power drops here, Chance. Power drops. All right. Now, everybody tell me what you thought about that Sam Trivoli episode uh, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's amazing how sometimes uh, the work in our community is informing us here. And I love that. Uh uh, economy of movement, that ecosystem of mind, spirit, zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. We got this. Uh, I love our, I love our, our live chat a lot. They like remember the one eleven word that means Holocaust, right? But Holocaust, uh, beyond <laughs> beyond language in the chat, he says Holocaust. Switch the G and the C. Holy Ghost. It's right there, right there in front of our face. <laughs> Another one. So HG, you guys baby. see things that we can't see. It's pretty awesome. Love it. Uh, what's the name of the, a good one. the tinfoil hat that you say that we must listen to? Or It's the most recent one. Uh, oh, I'm so bad with proper nouns. It's not. Hold on. I think I could. Give me a second. Give me just a second. I'll let you guys know. Oh, here it is. It is the one with Joe Atwill. Joe okay. Atwill, and he beha- he behaves. He he tiptoes through the tulips, and he still drops mad bombs. Joe Atwill. Okay, well, we'll check it out, and we're gonna we're gonna mosey on out of here, folks. Thanks for sticking with us, especially those of you who are here from the beginning and made it all the way through. 
Hope you enjoyed. Look in the show notes for ways that you can hmm, support us. <laughs> Lots of ways. You know, maybe you want a hoodie like I'm wearing. The nice interverse black hole singularity on it. And all the lightning. The ohm. So catch y'all on the next one. I'm out. Gabe, much love, buddy. I got, I got oh. one thing to say. Uh, I put a lot of these graphics over in the Telegram uh, 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 interverse chat group. So a lot of people yeah. can kind of come and review the schizophrenic uh, drops that I love to share. Uh, and if you're I'll not like in it. Telegram, come get on Telegram, y'all. Come get on Telegram. All right. And uh, all. special thanks to Rachel for being the super chatter on YouTube and staying up extremely late in the UK or extremely early <laughs> and Peter Foldy on Rockfin. Nice. See your super chat there. Thanks buddy. Appreciate the supporters. You, you are the 1% that does a hundred percent of the supporting love y'all. All right. See you guys on the next one. Peace. <laughs>